Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. We got kind of a special episode for you tonight. Um, I don't believe we've done this for hundreds and hundreds of episodes, but this is technically, uh, while it's a book review in a way, because we'll be talking about a book, it's a crossover episode where um, we recorded a conversation with the, the, the gentleman from This Is Horror, and um, we'll be that's what you'll be listening to now, but they're also posting it on their podcast. Um, so something we don't do very often, but yeah, we're, we're back to doing a crossover with This Is Horror. I feel like like seven or eight years, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long time. And I know you said this is a book review and here's what happened. <laughs> um, the fellows at This Is Horror have a book coming out uh, here shortly on Halloween. Um, we decided to read it and then we decided to do this crossover episode and it's not getting like a full review episode because I don't know if you're like me, you already know this episode's like two and a half hours long. Um, so, uh, that's, uh, that's about all the time we're spending on this one. Um, but it was weird because we didn't really talk a lot about the book, um, like we do here when we review it. So we're going to take a few minutes before we go on this, kind of give you some general thoughts on, on what we thought about the book. Then you can go and listen to our two and a half hour conversation and, uh, you know, do whatever it is you do with your life after that. Yeah. So uh, this is a first for the boys at This Is Horror. Now, you will know that recently we reviewed uh, The Girl in the Video by Michael David Wilson, who is one of the This Is Horror hosts. So um, he's just having a a hell of a year releasing stuff because um, uh, he he's had short stories and stuff out before, but this, he had his first novella and now his first co-authored novel in the same year. So he's really just like blowing it out there. Um, we will do a synopsis in our general conversation with them. So that'll give you an idea what the book is about. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit clunky, but generally like the idea is, um, our protagonist moves to a small coastal town, um, to start work at a, a, a new job within the company he's been working for. And um, pretty quickly into his uh, like kind of getting settled in, uh, gets a little, uh, I don't want to say infatuated, but becomes very interested in uh, a neighbor girl. And um, as he gets kind of weird about that, things in general get kind of weird as well. And that's all we're going to say about the plot of <laughs> <laughs> we will read the, the full synopsis, um, like Rob mentioned, uh, during our actual crossover. Um, overall, uh, I, I have some thoughts, and I think Rob's probably going to have some thoughts. Um, this book um, was surprising because it's uh, not quite as much horror as I or likely you would expect from from two fellas who uh, who run a podcast called this is horror um not to say that there's not horror in it but there's definitely a more kind of sleuthy mystery element to it and uh we talk a little bit i think it's hard to remember because there's three hours and there's some editing but i do believe we talk a little bit about this with bob pastorella and michael wilson um during the course of, of our interview but i kind of like that i liked that this wasn't uh, a straight up gore fest or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever you would call jump scares in books, if such a thing exists, that it was, a, uh, it was a little less horror than I thought. And that was, uh, in a surprising way, a very good thing. 
Yeah. And so I'm going to do my best to not repeat things too much that we talk about in our, in our conversation so that it's, uh, you know, it's not super repetitive, but I think that, uh, the co-authoring aspect worked really well. And we go into that a little bit in the conversation, but, um, when you have co-authors, you worry, like, is it going to sound too much like so-and-so here, you know, and like the other person there. And, um, it was a really smooth, um, co-authoring situation. You really couldn't, you know, pick up one voice over another. So that was very nice. Uh, and in general, yeah, like Livia said, it feels much more like a, like a mystery detective themed story than anything. And, and, uh, as, as we talk about the approach, the approach these guys took was essentially to infuse darkness into that type of story. So, and I think that it worked out well, I think, um, infusing darkness into a story that feels heavily detective, um, worked out. For sure. I don't know if there's anything more um, I really want to say about it. I think you should go and buy it. So if it's uh, if it's October 31st or later when you're catching this, uh, pop over to Amazon. I believe this is going to be available um, in multiple countries. At least I'm assuming in the in the Kindle version. There is also paperback version, and uh, who knows? I, I there's uh, there's an audiobook version too. I believe is that. Do you remember? Yeah, those guys are all about the audiobook because they. Uh, yeah. He said they're using the same voice right. actor for that as they did with girl the video yeah yeah so um i guess you know we'll just get into it here's uh here's our episode with bob pastorella and michael david wilson uh michael i know we talked recently but bob it's been a while but it's great to be here with you guys tonight oh well, thank you yeah great to be here we're back yeah, um, and and this time we're we're asking the question. So I, I guess to clarify for listeners on on both podcasts is you may be hearing this on This Is Horror, you may be hearing this on Booked, um, but really we wanted to get together because it's the it's the the horror season, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about their watching, which is the latest or the soon to be latest release from from Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella. So um, if you guys don't mind, I don't want to take over because I was on your podcast, but I do want to give the synopsis for anybody who's listening and maybe we can kind of go from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So from the hosts of This Is Horror Podcast comes a dark thriller of obsession, paranoia, and voyeurism. After relocating to a small coastal town, Brian discovers a hole that gazes into his neighbor's bedroom. Every night she dances and he peeps. Same song, same time, same wild and mesmerizing dance. But soon Brian suspects he's not the only one watching, and she's not the only one being watched. Their watching is the Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. What do you guys have to say for yourselves? Well, I mean, we collaborated on a number of things that weren't right in before. So, of course, the website and the podcast. And one day, a few years ago, I said to Bob, why don't we write a book together? And luckily he said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. It, you know, it, it wouldn't have gone very far if he'd have said, no, get the fuck out of here. And so we started discussing the various themes and ideas that we had, bouncing things around. And then from there, we started plotting chapter by chapter the book that would then become their watching. And... I mean, the, the collaborative process worked pretty well and pretty naturally. And so Bob would start writing a section and then he'd hand it over to me, after which I would meticulously go through each sentence. So anything was up for grabs and up for editing. 
And then after I'd done that, I'd write my section, I'd pass it back to him, and then we'd do that until we had the complete story. And so hopefully, as a result of us both pouring over each sentence, we've got this cohesive voice, and it's difficult for you to be able to tell who wrote each bit. And if you're thinking, oh, well, that is a pretty specific British reference, I reckon Michael wrote that. Well, sometimes I'd just see some American reference that Bob had, and I'd edit it. So, yeah, technically I might have added the word, but that is in a kind of sea of Bob Pastorella sentences. And with their watching, there were really three versions of it. So, initially, it was a novella of about 20,000 words. And we did have a specific market in mind for it. And we wrote that pretty quickly. I think it was only in like a month or two that we put that one together. But then as things worked out, we didn't go with that market in the end, which brought us a little bit more time to look at what to do with it and how to expand it. And I mean, for a long time, we knew that there was something that was missing. There was something between the second and the third act, and it took us like kind of shopping it around to different beta readers, and particularly the ladies of the fright, Lisa Quigley and Mackenzie Kira, to really land on what was missing. And when we rewrote it, we got rid of a character, we added a new character, we expanded the role of a couple of characters, we added some major scenes and so the copy of the book that you've got today is a 50,000 word novel and I'm so glad that we took the time to really look at what wasn't working and to get it right because I'm super proud of this release and I mean also check out that cover art. I know Piper is good when it comes to cover art but I feel even he has outdone himself this time. Mm-hmm. That was uh, definitely going to be something that came up uh, because so I know Pipar has done covers for This Is Horror in the past. Uh, did the house at the bottom of a lake, was that one of them? Yeah, yeah. Or, and then also the water for drowning, right? Yes. Uh, if I, yeah. So I don't know if there was others, but those are the two that stand out. Funny story, actually. I was uh, I, I can't remember what book this was in reference to, but... Uh, uh, someone had had posted a picture on like Facebook or whatever about their their book, and in the in the comments, Pi Par called out what a great looking cover it was, and and my comment was that's high praise from you because you make such awesome book covers because I mean they're gorgeous they're just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean I think he did the Elvis room. Didn't he do the Elvis oh. room for Stephen Graham Jones? He did. Yeah. He. He's done a number of This Is Horror covers. So I first met Pi when I was working for Rebellion Publishing in Oxford, and they own 2000 AD and Abaddon and Solaris Books. And, I mean, this was around the time where I, I, think, I think I was four chapbooks into the This Is Horror series. And then when I met him and he was the head of art at Rebellion... We got to talking, and I thought, yeah, I'll I'll see if he wants to do a few covers for me. And 
well, since then, he's, he's kind of been my number one pick for doing the cover art. And I mean, he did the girl in the video as well, because when it came to releasing my first book, I thought, I, I don't want to leave things to chance. I want to make sure that I've got someone not only who who creates these beautiful covers, but that I've got a good working relationship with. And I mean, something Pi does that not a lot of cover artists that I've worked with before do is he, he actually reads the entire book. Now, I'm not sure if <laughs> that's just something he does for me, but <laughs> the way it will work is I'll send over the book He'll read it, and then both of us will come up with some concepts some, and some ideas. He'll usually draft out four ideas, and then we'll choose our favorite, or we'll kind of incorporate different ideas from each of the four, and then the final cover will kind of slowly come together. So it's quite a collaborative effort, but I, I'm always keen to say to him look you're the artist so you take the lead on this one because often if I come up with something it's like well that is a very very busy idea we need to pare it down a lot so I'll, I'll probably write like these are the 20 things you could include in the cover now you tell me the two things that we're actually going to include <laughs> um but I, I think I mean, they're watching the cover for me is is automatically in my top three of the covers that Pi has done for me. Um, the girl in the video and a house at the bottom of a lake being the other two. But I think maybe what makes this one particularly special is you've almost got this 3D effect with the eye looking through. And so, I mean, it, it, it's almost coming off the page there and there's just so much going on. And I, I think... AI looking through like a keyhole or a hole in the wall, that is something that could so easily be generic and cliche. Um, but he, he's managed to, to almost take that trope and to turn it into something original. And I, I mean, I think it helps that throughout the novel, we've got these kind of aquatic motifs and these fish that have been incorporated into the cover. But God damn! He, even for Pi, as I say, I I do think he's outdone himself here. It's uh, so we we mention covers from time to time just because we see a a nice cover, but it, it's nice to get a look behind. I don't know that we've ever talked about the process of of how a cover comes together, and I have to say that um, Pi sounds like uh, like he's uh, a, a very professional. So I didn't expect that there would be like like a presentation like here's four different ideas i thought they'd be like yeah what do you think of this and you go yeah it's fine good enough and you sign off on it and, and you call it a day so it's nice to know that there's a, a process at least for him and yes the covers are absolutely stunning i said rob and i were talking about it um right before the podcast i do want to say it's one of the few times where i'm gonna uh, a little bit uh, talk down about e-reading which is you know easily my favorite way to consume books is covers on a kindle and it's black and white, you know, I mean, they just they don't look like, like much of anything. So that's one one thing that I'll say, even if you're reading on, a, on an iPad or, you know, an actual physical copy that ebooks will never uh, Kindle ebooks will never catch up to. Yeah. Yes. I, I think he, 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 even as a great ebook fan, I would endorse that comment and agree with it. Yeah. 
Because, because the house at the bottom of a lake came up, um, something funny happened recently. This is the first time it's happened in podcast history, at least that I'm aware of for, for me and Livius. Um, we got uh, emailed uh, from Josh Mallerman's people. They sent us a, a NetGalley link for their re-release of A House at the Bottom of a Lake. And I was very happy to see that the cover, like the ARC has the the original Pi Par cover on it. So I hope that's not like, that's not a, that's not a, I know that you're not upset that it's like being republished or anything, but that one of the things that I was thinking about when I knew that that book was up to, to be um, published again was, are they going to be able to keep that cover? Because again, just how beautiful it is. So uh, it was, it was, it, it was good to see that, that cover, but at the same time, it's like, I'm getting an arc for a book that I reviewed easily four years ago. So that's definitely, that was the first for us. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, when it comes to the cover art uh, of Pi's work, I often represent him when he has done some This Is Horror work and then foreign yeah. <laughs> publishers or other publishers want to use the cover art. So that's a deal that we've had since I've been approached about it. So, yeah, luckily I was aware that the cover art was being used because I was basically the one who negotiated that deal yeah. <laughs> for me and Pa. Um, me and Pa even. Or Pa, maybe he's okay going with Pa. <laughs> we but, just changed his name to Pa. Yeah. We, we yeah. got that press release as well because obviously <laughs> it was just a generic mail out. Right. And so it was like, oh, maybe you 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 want to review this, and it's like, well, I mean, I kind of not <laughs> only maybe, published yeah. it, but I did uh, negotiate the cover art, and we've been speaking about this. But thank you for sending me that. I want to get back. So I know we we went we literally went to the beginning of their watching with the cover, but but I have I have some questions. I want to ask Bob. So I, I want to agree that it was seamless. So whatever process you guys used, um, Robin actually talked about this right before we got on with you guys. That uh, that there was no I I, I kind of expected there to be like I can pick out no this is this is definitely a dude from Texas right in this part you know and so I want to ask Bob, was it <laughs> was it tough for you to write? And and keep it all, you know, on, on British soil. Was that was that a challenge for you at all? That was something that we decided to do like immediately because it is the initial idea was Michael's. And at that point right there, it was kind of decided, hey, you know, this so this is gonna be a you know, set in, in England. Um, but I didn't want it to be I definitely didn't want it to be like a big metropolitan thing. I want it to be like on the coast, you know, because we got so many there's probably millions of stories set in the city and I I thought the coast was good. Um it really kinda of helped out because we kinda of knew what direction the story was gonna go before we even started writing. So this is something that we did a lot of email back and forth, just, you know, going through each, each step of the process, you know, like this is going to happen, but this happens and therefore this has to happen and so on. We just kept going back and forth until we pretty much had the whole story mapped out. And I definitely wanted to, to have it, to have it like a Ramsey Campbell kind of feel to it and so because I, I love his work and i know you basically we can't copy him uh you could but you probably wouldn't be very successful so but 
that that was that was kind of my inspiration. So if I if I remember correctly, I started it off, but literally, like what Michael was saying, both of us have have pretty much touched every word on there. Um, and it's it's amazing because I can go through the the manuscript and I'm like thoroughly convinced I wrote a section and realized that Michael wrote it <laughs> because it, it's so it's so seamless. There are parts that I know for a fact that that I wrote and 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 I can see where where Michael's influence has come in on it, you know, and and the same thing with I'm sure he sees stuff that he's wrote that things hey this this would work better if it works if it's worded this way. So, you know, it's just it was a lot of a lot of back and forth. Fortunately we also were smart enough to leave ourselves leave the next person taken off a good starting point. Uh, whether whether we used it or not was, you know, totally up to us. I think there was a couple of times that we tried to incorporate what the other one had done, but oh, no, 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 I want to try this, you know, and so there was a couple of times we actually just, you know, kind of flip-flop some things around. But for the most part, uh, it was uh, seamless. It's just, it's, it, it just, it worked, you know. I have uh, I have one question. I'm going to read one line, and I want to know, Bob, was this you, or Michael, <laughs> was this you? Okay. Fuck off, hobo wanker. <laughs> <laughs> that was Michael. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And see, and I actually said to Rob, I said to Rob, I go, you know, there's one. I said there's one chapter. I said, and I, I there were like three very british words crammed into that like a really small space and i said you know i I almost bet you that was bob like bob's like these are the three british words i know one of them's wanker and i'm putting this fucker in there so i i I stand i stand corrected no michael wrote actually he he wrote if it's a section i'm thinking of it's near the end Mm -hmm. and he he wrote that and that was that was a really those those ending chapters or before you get to the end are the ones that we basically is what took it into a novel and we spent a lot of time on those chapters like i would say how long you think you're like five six months (laughs) Um, you know it it feels like it was that long (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. but we we you know, so there's, there's, those are kind of fresh. So I can remember who wrote what and things like that. And I remember, uh, I was like, Hey, I'm not very familiar with the, with the Indian food. And Michael's like, you know, he, he's, he's, he's very good in his, in his <laughs> yeah. research. And he's like, he goes, I've got a menu basically. So, you know, he goes, I, I got that handled just and he's kind of, you know, we always like, you know, would say like, just get me there and, and I'll take over, you know? And so that, and that's what we did. And it was it was fun. That's the thing. It was a collaboration that you would think, okay, this is going to turn. This can either go like two directions. It can be absolutely terrible, and me and Michael don't speak, <laughs> or <laughs> it, it's going to be a blast. And it was it was a total blast. It was it was a lot of fun. A lot of work, but a lot of fun. Yeah, I like to think that even if it hadn't worked out, we would continue to speak. I never thought the terms were that, but obviously the stakes were higher than I assumed. I mean, you you said that I researched a lot for, you know, writing the Indian food. 
if research equals just have eaten a lot of Indian food in my life, yeah. then then yeah, like I, I committed to that for decades and now it has finally paid off. But I mean, Indian cuisine in the UK is basically a national dish. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, we eat it more than, you know, fish and chips, which is the stereotype. And I mean, you, you'd be hard pushed to find a town in the UK that does not have several Indian restaurants that's that popular. Um, mm-hmm. and as to the line with hobo wanker, I mean, that, it, that's, that little scene was just, you know, perfect for me and for that little interlude. And I mean, there, there was some inspiration from, you know, the, the obvious horror films where you've got, you know, outsiders in small towns, but I'm not going to lie, there was just a little bit of influence from the in-betweeners for that, you know, shouting hobo wanker is exactly (laughs) what, you know, the teens in in that classic series would have shouted. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what you have, would have shouted at Bob if uh, if this all went south. Yeah, you just yeah. Fuck off, you know, wanker. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I guess. Change my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing. So you mentioned, um, as far as the collaborative process, that you uh, you basically outlined the the whole story and and then how you passed from person to person. Um, aside from the award thieving. Uh, ladies of the fright that helped you with a uh, beta reading was there any other people that were involved in the process and that's totally i'm totally joking too i just i wanted to throw in the whole award thing because we lost it's okay i mean when i was speaking to ladies of the fright i tried to get them to start a fight with brian Keane. so you know i'm, <laughs> I'm all for starting these kind of podcasts turf wars and i've told Inkheis that when we come on their show we're just gonna have an all-out brawl so it's all about you know taking horror podcasting giving it that kind of theatrical pro wrestling feel so i i mean i assume in this episode we're all gonna have like our theme music and our entrance before <laughs> we come out but yeah get going back to your question i mean we we had beta readers that every stage of the process so even for the the very quick kind of initial version that we we did in like two months we had some kind of this is horror favorites like dan howarth and kev harrison reading it and giving us their feedback but i think another person who was really instrumental was ryan lewis who i've spoken about before he's now my film manager he's also josh malaman's film manager and so he's at the moment trying to shop around the girl in the video and see if he can get that made into a film but he's also really interested in shopping around their watching and so he gave us a few notes on you know i guess what was almost the final draft and they were very very subtle but they were changes that just made it so much better. So almost a kind of minimum effective dose. So ironically, he's not an editor, but he's maybe given some of the best editorial advice I've ever had. (laughs) And, you know, I like that. If it's like, make this small change, 
for this maximum effect. It's like, that's how I like mm -hmm. it, you know, not making big changes for this minimal effect. So, yeah, R Ryan Lewis is now someone who I will always send my stories to for, for as long as he'll keep reading them and giving me this feedback. And I, I think as well, now that I'm working with him, every time I'm writing a story, I, I am going to be thinking about how would this look on the screen? How can we sell it? I mean, it's not going to mean that I only write stories that are, are filmic, but I think it will be something that I'm mindful of, particularly in in the kind of later draft stages. I think if you're mindful of that in the first draft, then you're probably not going to be able to write anything particularly authentic or original. I think for the first draft, you don't want to think about marketing. You don't want to think about the film right. adaptation. You just want to get down the story as best as you can. And one other person I should mention is Max Booth the third, because he was our editor for this project. And I mean, Max oh, cool. is always instrumental with with his edits there's always a lot of humor as well i mean that's kind of the way that me and max work and as you know there's a lot of like highly specific british terms in there and there were some moments where he just highlighted the british word and wrote what the fuck because <laughs> he'd never heard the term before <laughs> so that that didn't really help the the process but it made me laugh at least and you know if you can laugh while you're going through your edits that's probably a good thing there are um there are a number of books that we've read and we've talked about on the podcast where i felt like they were written um, to be movies, you know, and, and I think there's a difference between writing for the screen, you know, writing your novel with the screen in mind and saying, hey, is this something that can be filmed? You know what I mean? So you can stay true to the story without writing specifically for the screen, just making sure that it's adaptable. And I think that there's that difference will probably come through in in works. The difference between this is definitely shot for shot what's going to be in the movie versus a good story that you go, well, yeah, I could see them making this into a movie. So. Yeah. One of the things, you know, I think that both me and Michael compliment each other because we're both visual writers and we're really good at dialogue. And of course, film is vision, you know, sight and sound. Um, and obviously you're not going to be able to get like, you know, smells and things like that to come across on the screen, unless you have like a really, really good character actor who can pull that off or character actors that can pull that off. So, you know, um, it, it's, it, I think our styles really complemented each other. We really wrote this, what out initially went out, you know, I guess because it was kind of, you know, influenced by some films that we always had that kind of filmic concept, but it never crossed our minds until recently that there could possibly be a film on it, or at least it never felt that way to me. I was just wanted to make sure I had the best story out there. Um, but it's, it's, it's good to see that our styles complemented each other in such a way that it became seamless and it is something that could possibly make a, a really, really interesting film. All right. So I'm going to change directions a little bit, but because you're talking about the style of writing and everything, this occurred to me as one of the things that, um, uh, that st stood out to me was that, um, there's a lot of kind of detective 
type mystery aspects to the story. Um, and you guys, I've known you guys as, as pretty straight horror people, uh, in general, as far as like your writing goes. So, um, it, it, it 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 was it was conspicuous to me that there was uh, much there was a lot of of mystery and and like detective kind of work like amateur kind of gumshoe stuff going on so was that any more difficult to write than you know other stuff you've written or is that did it come pretty naturally i don't think it was any more difficult um yeah. it was uh a lot of the stuff that the the especially if you're talking about the private eye to me, a lot of the stuff that, that he brings up is very sense, if that makes sense. You know, um, it, it's it's I don't think that we dove too deep into like research techniques or surveillance techniques and things like that, because it it, it probably would have would have maybe pulled away from the story instead of enhanced it. But I don't know. What do you think, Michael? Well, I think even though I haven't really written anything like that before, I do read a lot of Elmore Leonard and Lawrence Block and that kind of hard-boiled crime. So it didn't really feel like something that was unfamiliar to me because I've been reading that kind of thing for decades now. And I mean, I think in terms of the, the type of writing that, appeals to me in the type of horror i mean i'm pretty attracted to just kind of dark fiction dark thriller dark crime things that are embedded with realism rather than the more kind of supernatural or monsters or things like that so it it just felt like a natural progression really and i mean i i think this is this is arguably more horror than the girl in the video i think you know that there's a case that this is a a horror thriller whereas i think the girl in the video you could just say it's more a, a dark crime book probably it, it's in the horror category because one as the founder of this is horror probably anything i write <laughs> they're going to in, in in some way try and shoehorn into the horror genre but also because of some of the extreme things that happen in the video and a very specific extreme event that happens, you know, about 75% through. You can't just <laughs> call that a kind of cozy crime novel. But, yeah, it, it, it didn't feel any more difficult than any other part of writing uh, uh, the book. And Ted was a very enjoyable, fun, no-bullshit character to write. So, you know, he he's one of my favorites, really. But, I mean, I, I kind of do have an affection for the kind of no-bullshit characters. I mean, one of my favorite characters to write in The Girl in the Video was Marty, and he's a piece of shit, but, you know, that's <laughs> how it goes. I want to go a little bit into story, because not only is there Ted, who you mentioned, who's who's a private investigator, but our uh, our protagonist, Brian, takes on that role. So he rolls into this small town, which, by the way, I want to say, Bob, not only would this not have worked in a city, but uh, as Americans, I think three of us can agree that for us this worked better in, in, in England than it would have in 
you know, Missouri or, or something here. I think that coastal out of the way place that's a little foreign to the three of us um, worked really well. But you do have Brian who rolls into this town and, you know, develops a fixation. I don't want to go too far into it, but there's a there's a hole and an eye poking through it. It's given away right <laughs> on the cover um, with a with a neighbor and, and then starts to observe some some odd things happening. But he also takes on a detective role. So to me, it was interesting that there were really kind of two private eyes. One guy bumbling through his life trying to figure out what's going on. Another guy who definitely is a hard ass, been doing it forever, knows all the ropes. Um, so you really have kind of two um, detectives. Um, when you were talking about movies, the the thing, and I messaged Rob, I think I was probably about 40% of this book, and I could not remember the name. It took me about two hours to come up with it. It reminded me a little bit of The Kill List. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Rob has no idea what I'm talking about. But I definitely got that vibe. Like someone, and not the same, but that he's on, he's on a path. But yeah, he, he's he's getting involved in this thing that's not his his natural thing. So... I, I guess I'll, I'll I'll ask it. So kill us, guys. Yeah. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, we nearly put that in the synopsis, but we thought it was just a little bit too obscure to hook people. But for a long time, we were going mm -hmm. to basically describe it as body double meets Wicker Man meets Kill List, but we just we we thought it was too specific a reference <laughs> to a film. And, you know, there are certain parts, particularly towards the end of Kill List, that really kind of cement that reference. But, yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned Kill List because that is something almost from the start of the process that we have thought mm -hmm. they're watching, you know, it has that element. So, yeah, 100% it was an influence. I think that even in the initial, I think what kind of spurred the whole story was actually me and Michael talking about Kill List and how good it was. <laughs> and we had already started talking about that. And Michael's like, well, I have an idea. <laughs> you know, And I think that that's in the emails back and forth that, you know, and we, one thing about Kill List is like, if you've never seen it, I'm trying, definitely not trying to spoil it for anyone who's never seen it. But if you're not paying attention, the ending is going to seem abrupt. But if you pay attention from the very beginning, you will realize that the ending is not abrupt at all. It's just not what you expected. Yep. But it the, the clues are there. And that was real important for us in their watching, is that we, we knew where we were going with this, and we had... You know, there's me, I'm always into two things, you know, as, as far as plotting. It's got to be logical and ahead, but yet it has to be unpredictable. I think we did it. Uh, but that's, you know, there, there's there's work involved in that. It's like you can't just go, and it's going to end this way. Well, that's kind of left field. Well, but it's going to work. <laughs> you know, you can't do it that way, you know. So, yeah, definitely kill this. <laughs> no doubt. That was an influence. I have kind of, I don't know how this question is going to go, but this is something that um, it was, it was obvious enough in the story that I'm wondering, uh, and it's a little bit of characterization for the protagonist, Brian, um, and his obsession with his neighbor, Yuki, um, where, uh, so he, before he knew her name, he just referred to her as her in his head. And um, 
without so I, I don't think this reveals too much about the story but by the time he actually meets her and talks to her and learns her name her has already kind of cemented in his head so even going forward throughout the rest of the story her comes up as as a concept and it's almost revered and so um i i guess is there is there anything specific to that or was that just emphasizing how much um how much this person cared about his neighbor Yuki because it seemed like it was it was something that was was definitely emphasized I mean I would say probably almost throughout the entirety of the story so it was it was um uh, uh conspicuous enough that I felt like I wanted to see if there was something specific about it so I don't want to talk about that too much but I mean I will say that she has three names throughout the story so she's very briefly yoga pants but soon as he gets to learn about her he decides that uh, that's so crude and debasing and so unworthy of of her and i mean the thing with her is we we're trying to elevate this beyond just an obsession beyond an infatuation to give her this almost divine quality. Yep. And so even though he learns that her name is Yuki, she's beyond that. She is her. Yeah. And it, it's kind of just part of his worship of her and this this elevation for Yuki becomes more than just a human being. She is almost a, a deity a a kind of something that that is more than just her human form like there are more elements to her and we wanted to to almost play with that ambiguity so you might even wonder you know what was there more to her was this just in brian's head or what's what's going on here and to talk about it at much more length would probably to be to go into spoiler territory. So I'd, mm -hmm. I'd rather yeah, sure. leave it much <laughs> at that. I I don't know, Bob, if you wanted to add anything or if if we'll draw a line under that. Uh, well, I mean, we can we can draw a line under it, but I will say I agree with everything. It was um, it, it it was deliberate. Uh, as far as the the you know the the actual work the the writing it was uh, you know and and there was there was probably other things that we could have said but in and I, I don't know I can't remember if we played around with using like she or something like that but her just it, it just worked I mean it was because because you the way he uses it within the actual sentences almost doesn't make sense. If you right. read it, yeah. but once you get into the story and you get in the character and you see it and you and you see it the way it's written, even though it doesn't make it makes the sentence sound awkward, it's like it also makes the sentence have perfect sense for the story, you know, and it could, because yep. we we maintain that 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 point of view. Yep, absolutely. Very much. Um, so I, I think you guys are right. I don't know how much more we can say uh, about story. I don't think we mentioned this because our listeners may be hearing this. I don't know timing wise, but this comes out on Halloween, October 31st. It is available for pre-order now. And uh, I think people should probably do that. 
I'll say that for your listeners too, so that you don't have to say it. You should totally pre-order this book. Is it going to be in print? I did not look. Yeah, so there's going to be a paperback and an ebook version, and then coming early 2021, there will be an audiobook version that is going to be narrated by RJ Bailey, who also narrated The Girl in the Video. And indeed, Water for Drowning. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Very cool. I wanted to get that out there before anybody tunes out when this devolves into whatever it's going to become. Is there anything else you guys want to mention on their watching before we kind of move on to some general podcast stuff? Well, I mean, I think if people enjoy the work that Bob and I have put out separately before, and if you like the idea of the wicker man meets body double with a splash of suspiria and a little hint of kill list then (laughs) you're gonna dig it i think you should pick it up if you're a this is horror podcast listener and you want to get to know you know what, what are we working on what twisted voyeuristic fiction do we come up with then you know this is the one for you they're watching pre-order it you know Livia said it so that I didn't have to but I I have no shame I'll fucking say it again (laughs) you've got to pre-order it (laughs) and there's a load of bonuses if you do it directly via this is horror you get the physical book but we'll send you the ebook a week before the official publication and we'll send you the audiobook when it comes out so you've got it in free formats you can Read it on the ebook, have it on your bookcase for the physical copy. And then, you know, a few months later, you can listen to it. You can have RJ Bailey read it to you. And I mean, much like Piper, when I discovered RJ Bailey, you know, I thought, yeah, I'm going to use him for a number of audio projects because, you know, he, he's just wonderful. Um, I guess maybe when we put out a book that has a a very American feel, then we might have to go with a different narrator. But, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. for for now, that that is perfect. Yeah, the only thing I'll, I'll say is, is Echo and Michael, yes, please pre-order it. We worked a long time on this book, and I think, I think readers are really, really going to enjoy it. Uh, we put a lot of work into it. Uh, it is, it is a labor of love and I'm, I'm so excited that it's going to be out in the wild and I hope it just, I hope it blows everyone's mind. And so that's, I've got that butterfly feeling. It's just, Uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So, yeah. And don't trust anyone. Don't trust anyone for sure. The joke, the joke I was building in my mind, and it's not going to deliver well, but I'm going to give it anyway. Was um, there was some like inappropriate like watching of people dancing uh, in this book, and I was like, oh, so Michael wrote this based on his last (laughs) his last book. Like we've done a number of interviews, and no one has brought that up yet. But before I even finish this, I did think. There might be people who are like, so th- this is something that Michael's pretty pretty into then, because that's, you know, his first two books, and there are uh, some sexy women doing some dancing. And, uh, yeah, well, you discovered kink. 
Yeah, well, well, uh, next year there's House of Bad Memories via Grindhouse, and that does not involve any dancing. So hopefully there's people still will time. still buy it. There's still time, yeah. Well, there's still time. Until yeah. next year. Yeah, I, I, I could add it in. I mean, that book is, is almost as if Shane Meadows of This Is England wrote a book. It's very fucking bleak. It's a lot more bleak than either of the other two. So... A sexy dance you might consider inappropriate, but maybe that's exactly the light relief. It's just a little interlude <laughs> between the second and third act. <laughs> I, I like how Rob uh, uh, implied that that was your kink and not, you know, everybody on this podcast. Right. Kink, right. So, <laughs> so um, I guess yeah, while we're still kind of on the book. Uh, attention away from me like i wasn't like oh yeah here comes some more sexy dancing yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um I, I do have to say that i did pick out that a jimmy car panel show reference had to be michael there's no way bob bob is watching jimmy car panel shows so <laughs> i got that that was uh that that came through pretty pretty um loud and clear i'm a, yeah. I'm a big jimmy car fan i love jimmy car mostly um, eight out of ten cats does countdown, which I mention here every chance I get because I think it's one of the best things going on television. So, Rob's just hey, hey, we, so we're we're doing this on video. Rob's making a lost face; he has no idea what what how we how we got on on this topic. At some point, you guys will talk about booze, and I'll have the same look on my face, likely. <laughs> um, what are you guys up to? This is horror. I mean, we talked a lot about this book, but what are you guys doing? So, I mean. Recently, I spoke with Chuck Paulinick, so that was a huge coup for the podcast. And I mean, he was literally a, a kind of bucket list uh, guest, a dream guest. I've, I, I think when I started out, I just wrote down the three people I'd most like to speak to if I could speak to anyone. And it was Chuck, it was Stephen King and Haruki Murakami. So, you know, one down, two to go, but that mm -hmm. that that has obviously brought a lot more listeners to the show, and hopefully we can retain some of them as well. But I mean, I I think for this particular book tour, Chuck only spoke with This Is Horror and the Tim Ferriss show, so that was a a, a pretty Great. good coup and. Uh, he he enjoyed it and said he'll be back again. So I guess that's something that will be happening uh, in in the future. Hopefully next year, round two with Chuck. Um, in in terms of other podcastings, it's business as usual. In terms of we'll be spotlighting your know, upcoming writers, but also people of that kind of legendary status i think it's good to have that mix to to not forget your roots you know as it were so that's what we're doing in terms of personal projects so bob and i really enjoyed this experience with their watching as bob said this was more my initial idea and we've got another 
idea that is certainly Bob's initial idea that he came up with. And this one will be set in America. So the tables are going to be turned. We've got to mm -hmm. you know, get rid of my British references and Bob can have fun Americanizing everything. I might just like rip off the U from my keyboard and hopefully that will be all that it <laughs> takes to write in American English, I believe. But that that is something that we'll be working on. I think we've both got solo projects that we're doing now but maybe you know in in the second half of 2021 we'll get to that and i mean it, it it's going to be fun doing it again and i i think now that we've done one we've probably found our rhythm we know how to do this so it should be an even more seamless process well uh just a, a tip from an american uh if you want if you're writing american uh torch is a flashlight so as long as you know that, I'm sure you'll be fine. Okay, thank you very much. We, but that, and that's <laughs> honestly like for for anybody who's listening, not on booked or even probably on our on our own podcast. Um, I feel like every time we read um, a, a book by an English author, at some point the word torch comes up, and I have to call it out. I don't know what it is, but like, it's just so like there's probably 20 or 30 episodes in the history of our podcast where I call out the fact that a torch is a flashlight. So couldn't, yeah. I couldn't resist. Or, although, me. funnily enough, in their watching, we talk about torches, but we're actually talking about the American-style torch. So, uh, yeah. Like the kind that, like, alt-right people use in rallies? That That is one use of, of torches, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not Aren't the only I use. use. <laughs> Bob, what are you excited about? Well, I'm excited about this. Uh, I'm excited about the fact that I'm actually writing. I went like a whole, pretty much almost a whole year of of not writing, and I just had some some things that were. It was it was a couple of things. It was one I was I was really kind of stuck in 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 doing things a certain way, and uh, I was getting nowhere with that. I would you know so basically what it come down to is that I have changed. For this particular project I'm working on, I um, used to be a meticulous, you know, basically a meticulous plotter, an outliner. Uh, I have abandoned that, and now I am uh, sitting right near 50,000 words on a novel, uh, which is the most I've written in a long time. And I have hardly any notes at all. Uh, so I'm sure that I've had, uh, you know, at least one character who started off with one name and now they have another name. So, mm -hmm. but this is the first draft. I've given myself permission to write shitty, uh, just, just to finish a draft, you know, and that's, that's, that's my goal. Um, I had, and I, I love the story. It's, it's personal. It, it deals with some, uh, some things that happened to some friends of mine that I have, blown way out of proportion so but i'm i've got that i'm actually writing in in the story now the, the actual core events and it feels good that i can i can write this stuff and i've i've, I've ex been exposed to this stuff in, in real life and in it, it deals with the paranormal and, and you know of course i'm on the record as somebody who's i mean i guess i'm becoming a little bit more open-minded but i don't believe in the paranormal 
Uh, but I've written some of this stuff and it's made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. So I think I'm doing pretty damn good. Uh, you know, I did write a, uh, a novelette, uh, kind of, uh, set, uh, in the, uh, kind of a swamp area in Texas. It deals with basically there's, there's a swamp creature. Um, so, and hopefully that will be part of a larger project I'm hoping to put out next year. So I can't really, don't want to really talk too much about that, but it's, uh, you know, just after going a whole year without doing anything and then, you know, sitting around watching movies and trying to outline stories. And now, you know, um, I just said, you know, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm just going to write and, and I've gotten more words out and I don't know if the story's good or not. And I'm at the point now to where I just want to finish it so I can, set it aside, you know, and, and let it gel and, and then go back to it and, and, and see if I can, if I can shape it into, into something that somebody would want to buy and, and, you know, and, and publish, you know, and that's, and to me, I think that's, it's good. It, it's, it's really good. It, it, it feels good. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, I guess I took a year off and now I'm kind of back, you know, uh, that's the way I feel. And it's, it's like, yeah, you know, so I love it. <laughs> you know, you said something really interesting, and I, I don't want to derail this conversation, but you said you don't really believe in the supernatural and that maybe you're coming around a little bit. Michael, thoughts on the supernatural? We're going to do it all, go all the way around? Well, I, I, we might. I just I thought it was interesting because you guys do this as horror, and I know you said you don't care for writing the supernatural uh, so much, but I'm curious. I don't think that there's any evidence that I've seen for the supernatural. I'm I'm open if there's scientific evidence that you, you know could 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 suggest it. Of course, any science, you know, if it's presented, then let's take a look at it. But th- there's nothing that has happened to me that has given me reason to believe in the supernatural or that couldn't be explained in another way. I mean, I've even had some some bizarre experiences and i know that in fact you referenced one of them because grady hendrix mentioned it to you which was (laughs) when i was younger and there was this kind of um world world war ii like jet plane that we me and my mother were in the car we were coming back from some sports event and there was this silent aircraft that we just saw that like just plummeted it was and it just kind of crashed and disappeared but you know to to say like oh wow it was a a ghost i now believe in the supernatural seems pretty far-fetched when you could say well I mean, we could have just got some subliminal messages. We could have read about that that day. Um, the fact that it was then found out that actually this was a site where some, you know, jets had been shot down, I think rather than gives an argument for the supernatural, gives an argument that actually, yeah, it's more likely that people in that area were talking about it. Um I mean, you only have to watch a few episodes of Darren Brown to see how easily you can implant an idea into someone's mind. And whilst the way that me and my mother remember it is that we both 
um, saw it and then we said to each other, did you see that? For all I know, one of us, you know, hallucinated that, said to the other, did you see that? Well, the power of suggestion is very powerful. So then we decided, yes, yes, I did see that. So I, I just think it's so wildly far-fetched when people decide what has happened is someone or something has come back from the dead. And I think as well, a lot of people will believe in the afterlife or the supernatural because the idea of us just living our life and then we're dead and then we're gone and there's nothing else can be quite a depressing one even if some people like rob on video start cheering that idea but I love that idea. just because you know you might find it a depressing idea i can't believe something because i would rather that be the case like i I don't want to die. I would like to continue on. Um, but just because, you know, maybe I'd like the idea of there being a heaven or an afterlife, what I want doesn't make it true. I could want a lot of things. It doesn't mean that there's any basis in reality. And as you can tell, this is something I could talk about for a long time and I'm fairly passionate I, I did, about. I didn't think this was going to be a yes or no answer, if I'm being honest, but no, I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I, I, I could keep talking about it. I'll, I'll try and wrap it up here. Um, I, I think both the, simultaneously, both the idea of just being dead and that's the end and the idea of living forever, I find them both simultaneously terrifying. And they're things that I've thought about a lot. I mean, I my parents are Christian. I was brought up in quite a religious household. So this was a concern from, from an early age. But I think the reason that I find just dying terrifying is be because of the ego. We don't want to just be dead. We want to continue in some way. But also the idea of perpetually existing, that's maybe even more of a nightmare. It's like it never fucking ends. I'm tired. I want this to end. So mm -hmm. I, I, maybe the compromise is I can live until I say, actually, that's enough. <laughs> you know, five, 500 <laughs> years, maybe that will be the point where I've had enough of it. Um yeah, let, let's find out what other people believe before I turn this into this is spirituality and this is religion, because I, I could move on to my thoughts on religion, but we don't need to go there. <laughs> um, I mean, so again, I'll mention it again. We're all on video, so I, I, the three of us already know what Rob thinks, but I'm, I'm going to let him throw out the audio for, every, for everybody else. I'm very much... Uh, with with Michael, except for maybe not so terrified about everything. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I take kind of so the, a similar scientific approach to like, hey, if you prove if there's something, if there's some evidence of these things, obviously I will consider it, you know, that type of thing. But I am super into the idea of just like when you die, that's it. Like give me some sweet oblivion because think of all the stuff you don't have to worry about anymore. Like – it's just, that's it. You did. And like, so, but what that does for me in a way is it allows me to just do my best to enjoy everything that's happening right now instead of like 
stack the deck so that something good could happen later on. Um, and so that's kind of like my approach to like the, the afterlife, like, or the lack of afterlife in my opinion. However, so Michael, you also made a good point of like the idea of living forever is, is similarly terrifying. And I agree with that. Like, I don't think that that would be something that would be the big positive that like, you know, vampire stories make it out to be, but think of all the books you could get through if you lived forever. So that would be the only reason that would literally be the one reason I'd be like, if I could live several hundred years, it would just be to like, to get through as many books as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> My but first thought, like, like I'm very, um, this is it. There's no, there's no spirituality to anything. And, just make me a pile of ash when it's done. This is going to be a little bit of an inside joke for book listeners, but um, Rob, you talked about not stacking up things for, for, for later. Remember I've met future Rob and future Rob might disagree with you. Just, no. just a hair. <laughs> no, because you disproved future Rob. So future, Rob. I know, I know, but I still, I tell you, I miss seeing future Rob because we're not in the same neighborhood anymore. So, um, I I thought it was interesting that you guys automatically went to to um, ghosts and death because I think there are some other elements in supernatural. So we could talk about you know uh, witchcraft or telekinesis or, or whatever kind of all in that what fucking werewolves right like in that mm -hmm. same in that same genre of of whatever. Oh, um, I totally I, believe in werewolves. I <laughs> right team team Jacob yeah. over there. <laughs> I think I've taken a different approach. So part of me has never wanted to grow up enough to think that that everything we see is the right thing. But um, I, I've thought a lot about, uh, and and I've never done this, and it's unlikely that I will because I'm too much of a coward. But um, people who use DMT all tend to report similar instances where they communicate with with similar type creatures or have seen similar type creatures. They're usually kind of small dwarfish type people. So for anybody who's who's heard anyone talk on this, it, it, it's it's pretty widespread. And my thought on that was I heard someone say that um, DMT potentially could open a sense that we don't have a sense as in one of your senses that we don't have access to on a, on a regular basis. And that that kind of turned me a little bit on thoughts about things that I can't see or can't hear is that, you know, what if potentially there is a sense that's dormant um, in, in us or, or whatever. So I'm, I'm probably a little more open to thinking there are things that just because we can't see or can't prove doesn't mean that they're not there, but I'm not like Rob knows this. I'm not a religious person. I'm not a big life after death person uh, going on to another plane person, not life after death as in zombies or vampires or, or, or whatever. <laughs> But I am a little more open to the idea that there's perhaps six, seven, eight, ten senses that that we don't, you know, that we don't have access to all of them, and that it, some people might enter into those and see a, a crashing plane or or whatever, you know, it, like a like a repeat of something that happened, um, maybe as as opposed to a ghost, maybe seeing something that happened in the past, like like you would rewind a video and watch it, so. That's kind of where I'm at. I don't know that I'd say I'm a big believer in the supernatural, but I, I'm I'm more open to it, I think, than than I used to be. I used to think it was just fun to think those things existed, but the 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 more I the more thought I put into it, the more I find myself in that realm of it, it could very well be out there. And just because we can't experience it today doesn't mean that A, we won't be able to, or that there are people that can't. 
-hmm. Yeah, and I think what, what you're saying isn't incompatible with what either me or Rob has said. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, that, that we can't see, but we're not suggesting, you know, gravity or oxygen don't exist. And I mean, I think as well that... Yeah, a lot of science has shown that we're not using our brain to its full capacity. So there are things that we are, are capable of doing, but that we're just not doing. And I mean, possibly if, if you're defining the supernatural on those terms, then you know, meditation and things can offer you another state if you practice it enough. Um I, I think DMT or any sort of hallucinogenics, they're, they're offering you other states and experiences, but it, it's not at least my definition of the supernatural. But then, you know, m maybe my definition of the supernatural is something that science wouldn't be able to prove, which then kind of makes anything that happens is not the supernatural. So... I don't know. It it often seems to be more of the realm of the fantastical, whereas everything you're talking about, it, it's natural. It's just that for some of us, either we're not using those capabilities yet, or there is science. We just don't know what that science is yet. So we're going to form a podcast called This Is Trippin', yeah. where we all like <laughs> separately take drugs yeah. and then just talk about what we're experiencing. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm willing to I'm willing to bet that exists already. This is true. Go down far far enough into into the the, the podcast um, realm. So um, Halloween is a little abbreviated for most people. Um, so I know there's uh, not a lot going on, at least in Illinois, as uh, we're still under some form of lockdown. Um, Bob in Texas, where are you guys at with uh, with lockdown and and Halloween stuff specifically? Well, um, in Texas over here, um, there are people who wear their mask and, you know, I'm part of that group of four and, uh, the rest of them don't want to wear their mask. And, uh, because, you know, they grown ass adults and they know what they're doing. And I just find it amazing that that population tends to keep on getting fucking sick. Uh, it just blows my mind. I don't. I don't really. I don't get it. I'm kind of like Rob. I don't. I don't get it. it really, <laughs> it's just what? How did the correlation happen? Um, but there are there are Halloween uh, activities going on. Uh, there are parents who are talking about taking their kids trick or treating. And, um, there are, uh, you know, some, some, I think some of the schools are doing some Halloween events and things like that. And here's the thing, if they can keep them safe and you know, if big, if capital I F if, you know, if they can keep them safe, I'm all for it. Uh, I just don't see how they can keep it safe. Uh, that's just me. Uh, I don't have any children. Uh, I'm sure that if I if I did have children and they were at that age when they wanted to go trick or treating and had been trick or treating or maybe this was going to be their first year to go trick or treating, that maybe I would have a different different attitude about it. But since I don't have children and I'm I've seen uh, almost in, in some cases literally firsthand what this pandemic what the illness can do to people is kind of like you know you're playing with fire you know you're you're literally playing with fire. You know, I actually, I actually think I had COVID back in January, 
which I mean, so a lot of people, you know, could be like, well, you know, you can't get it again. I'd be like, uh, yeah, I can, <laughs> you know, there's, there's documented cases of that. So, uh, but yeah, Rob's putting on his mask on the video. <laughs> I don't think it works that way, but yeah, you never know. No, you know, well, so you don't, it's better safe than sorry. But we got, I mean, in, in, over here at, at, at Casa Pastorella, though, I mean, you can't see it. I actually have my kitchen and everything all decked out, you know, with the, I got the, the six foot tall werewolf. I've got my, uh, you know, my, uh, I guess my more team Jacob. Over here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just we got, you know, I've got the candy out. I never, I never get any trick or treaters, and so you know I'm a diabetic. But that candy, that candy bucket's getting a little low, uh, you know. Uh, it's just you know you put Reese's uh, Reese's peanut butter cups in there, and they're gonna they're gonna get gone. I don't know what happens to them, you know. <laughs> they're Remember, pretty Remember peanut good. butter. Peanut butter is a lot of protein. Peanut butter might be good for that's, you. See, I'm that's not a medical expert, but yeah, that's that's my thoughts on peanut butter. Uh, Michael, yeah, I Michael guess was the yeah, most doctors say. <laughs> Michael, I don't even know. Is Halloween a thing in Japan? Um, so so it is to an extent, but I guess it's more a a kind of thing where you've got like the decorations, but less people going trick-or-treating. So, you know, you, you can decorate your house and, like, kind of have parties and things in schools and at clubs, like after-school clubs, not necessarily a nightclub, maybe. I don't <laughs> fucking know. There probably is a Halloween nightclub. But, I mean, for me, this year, so Halloween will be a week after I finally reunited with my family so i think we'll like decorate the apartment because i think that will be really nice for my daughter who's now two years old and just starting to kind of understand these things and she'll she'll absolutely love it and then i think for me and my wife we'll just watch a ton of horror movies together um just get a load of food and snacks and that will be that i mean it it will be the first time, yeah, in, in seven months that we've really done anything together, that we, we've got to have a movie night. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I I, I guess as well, at this point, we, we have missed our, our wedding anniversary, my birthday, her birthday, and my daughter's birthday. So even though we don't always go all out for Halloween, you better bloody believe we're going to do it this year. So, mm -hmm. you know, make, make up for lost time. Wow. Um, yeah, for, like... for listeners of Booked, I guess I just want to touch on the fact that uh, Michael and his family have been separated due to the reasons that we kind of touched on. So COVID. So it's been, uh, it's been almost seven months since he's been able to see his wife and child. So and I know your listeners, I'm sure, are aware of the situation. Um, but that's a that's a struggle, man, that that I, I you know, I, I feel terrible for for you and your family for. So, uh, you know, uh, hopefully uh, you got another week, right? One week from. Yeah. Today? Is that what yeah, you said? That, yeah. That's so, it. Yeah. yeah. Listen, my other thought was that was an anniversary that, you know, you, you didn't forget. And, you know, a wife's birthday, you didn't forget. So there's <laughs> there's some upsides to that. Right. Like, it's not, you know, it's it's, you know, <laughs> that. Mm -hmm. so, right. Yeah. <laughs> Michael doesn't strike me as the anniversary forgetting type. I'm sure. I'm oh, just saying. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
Um, guys, I had a thought, and this just kind of occurred to me, but um, since this is kind of a crossover thing and there's going to be our listeners hearing you guys as the hosts of This Is Horror, and you mentioned um, your conversation with Chuck Palahniuk earlier, but is there, like, if there were people who were listening to the booked podcast and hearing you guys, um, what would you point them to as far as episodes? Because you're probably, you have to be approaching 400 episodes if you're not already there, right? Um, so is there specific, like a few that you would say, Hey, check these out. If you want to see what we're all about. Um, I would imagine Chuck Polidick would probably be in an interesting, um, conversation, but you guys have had tons and tons of people on the podcast. So I don't know if there's some like top, like a top three or something that you would, you would think that people should check out. Yeah. Well, I mean, now Chuck Polidick is the kind of default starting point recommendation, (laughs) particularly for people who maybe don't initially gravitate towards horror to get a sense of what we do and to get a sense of these writing lessons and these life lessons that we talk about. I think the second recommendation would be episode 300 because it's almost like a preview as to the topics and the type types of people that we talk to because for that episode, we spoke to eight people and had a kind of mini interview so we're talking joe r lansdale and kathy kojo elma katsu um john padgett adam neville damian angelica walters i think i think we spoke to stephen graham jones in that episode as well is that right bob we, we spoke to him a number of times yes yes we definitely and um I'm trying to think. Okay, not in that one though, so I don't want to say the wrong name. <laughs> We've done so many that there, there's. I think we got it pretty much everybody covered in that one. That would be a really good episode for someone who uh, would want, you know, hey, what, what is, what is this is horror all about? That is probably one that. I, we'd definitely say, hey, you, you need to, to listen to this episode because it would kind of give you an insight of what we talk about with our guests. Um, and I'm sure that there's, an, I know that there's an, an, another one, but <clears throat> Michael, um, he he was kind of asking for three. Yeah, <laughs> so, and we, in, in episode 300, we also spoke with Josh Malaman. Like the, yes. I published him, and he's, he's like one of my best friends, and I forgot to mention he's him. He's so good. He's but, so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a, a, um, a third episode. I mean, specifically for booked, I would try to think of people who who are kind of more horror tangential. So I I'd say maybe check out the conversation with Craig Davidson, also known as Nick Cutter. He's a fairly interesting one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I'm not terribly familiar with his work, but I guess I didn't realize that Nick Cutter is a a pseudonym for Craig Davidson. Mm, yeah. So, I feel like that came up way back when we were talking about Warmed and Bound. Wasn't he in Warmed and Bound? Yes, he was. Yes, back yeah, in 2011? Yep. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. almost a decade ago. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, it just occurred to me that, like, you know, people might be hearing the two of you as the host of that, you know, podcast maybe for the first time. And, uh, you know, if we can help increase your audience in any way we would want to because um your focus and you could you could probably pitch it pretty quickly but your focus is more 
talking to authors. And while you talk about horror, obviously you also cover um, extensively the process of being a writer and um, uh, kind of that aspect of, mm. of making books as well. So um, definitely a different take on books than what we do because we primarily review and interview, but like yours go in depth, not only into the stories, but also the process of making the stories. Yeah, and in a sense, it's almost a, this is your life. So we will start at the <laughs> beginning and talk about, you know, growing up and what their childhood was like. So it's not just writing lessons, but your life lessons, as I said. And if there are uncomfortable things like dealing with mental health issues or depression, you know, we'll go there. We'll go to the the places where it hurts. We'll go to the darkness and hopefully find the light to use an old cliche mm -hmm. but for our listeners what are the episodes of booked that people should check out um i mean i'll i'll start with with one so you know you had talked about having a a bucket list and to this day i don't know that we actually have a bucket list of, of authors because when, when we started out um we didn't even i mean we didn't think we'd get past a few episodes and we never it never even occurred to us that people would be willing to talk to us you know so so some of our heroes but if i had to kick it off probably mark z danielewski for a guy who's super interesting and someone that i never thought we we would get on the podcast i would say that that's a great episode if you want to hear um a little bit of what we do interview wise, I think that's a great place to start. You, you can't ask for a better guest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one was good. That was a that was a very good one. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I think the ones that come to mind are interviews immediately because that's like an interesting person who um, it's not just me and Livius talking at each other all the time. Um, so one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest um, surprises for us, um, as far as interviews we were able to, to conduct was David Duchovny, um, because <laughs> it's fucking David Duchovny. And so, uh, the, the nice thing, so he's, a, he's a very, um, capable author. So I don't know if anybody, uh, besides me and Livius have read any of his books, but like He's he, no, <laughs> Livius is shaking his head. No, um, very good writer, but also like Ivy league educated in literature and stuff. So like he knows his stuff about writing. And so that was very refreshing. Um, but at the same time, we got to talk about stuff like X-Files and, and things like that. So, um, that was like, uh, that wasn't even bucket list. Cause like it, we didn't even know it was going to happen. Um, <laughs> we essentially reviewed one of his books and jokingly on the podcast said, Hey David, if you want to come on the podcast, just email us and gave our email. And he fucking emailed us. <laughs> so, Man, I, like I didn't know the story as to how it came about. I kind of assumed that you'd reached out to him. But you, you said, I can't believe that. Literally. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'll tell you, I'll go into this a little bit. So um, we review the book and we say offhandedly, because we say stupid stuff like that all the time. Like, oh, you know, uh, you know, James Patterson, if you want to come on the podcast and talk about it, just email us. And we never expect anybody to respond. Um, so we review that book. And then like a month later, I'm driving down to Texas um, to go to Austin with a friend of mine. And halfway there, we stop in Memphis. I'm at a coffee shop and I'm just catching up on email because we've been driving all day. And I see this email from, you know, it said something about Duchovny interview. And I open it up and it's like, hey, guys, 
I heard your episode. Sounds like you know what you're talking about. I'd love to talk to you guys. And I was like, there's no way this is real. Like, <laughs> who, who, who's mad at us right now that would <laughs> prank us? Um, and so me and Livius talked about it, and we responded to the email. And the entire time, up until we actually heard David Duchovny speaking to us over the phone, we're like, this is the most elaborate prank anybody's ever played on the podcast. And then he gets on the phone, it was him. And it was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. So it was all because we jokingly said, "Hey, email us," and it actually, it actually worked. We should do that, Michael. We should totally yeah. like. <laughs> but we don't review, so yeah, it'd be kind of hard to do that, especially if they're on the show with us. Well, yeah. and it was it was months it was months after we'd reviewed the book, so it's not like he was sitting around like release week, like just googling the name of his book and going, "Hey, what's this? I want to hear what these guys have to say." You know what I mean? So it was very strange. But what I'll say is. You know, when people say like, oh, who have you talked to that I might know? And most of these people aren't um, avid readers or, or really readers of dark fiction, which is where we spend a lot of our time. I, I always say David Duchovny, A, because there's name recognition, but I did not expect the the level of engagement and just how interesting and smart he is. And that's not to, to slight him. You know, I, I watched him on X-Files. I loved him on Californication. You know, I... I you know, it, that is that is a guy who's much, much deeper than if you're listening, than you give him credit for unless you've heard him speak on just a wide array of topics. So I, I think it's a great, great interview um, for for people. Uh, if you if you know, if you're into Duchovny or not, he's a bright guy and it's definitely worth listening to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can actually pick a third one. Um Rob, yeah. do you have anything come to mind? Okay. Uh, you know, things that come, like things come to mind. Like, so we do a lot of reviews and stuff. And I think that our, we're at our best when we really enjoyed the book. And so like a recent one that would come to mind is um, we, for some reason, are obsessed with Erin Morgenstern. And so her book, Starless Sea, came out in 2018, and we both just love the hell out of it. So um, I think that's one of our more fanboy level conversations about a book where we just like gush and gush. Um, so uh, that's that's more and it's more accessible too. It's not something that's very niche. It's something that you know anybody could read and and more people out there probably have heard about. So like if you want to see what one of our better reviews <laughs> is like, uh, we did a review of Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern and we we named it our best uh, review of 2018. So yeah, I mean it's a good start, but we have 516 episodes at this point, so there's plenty plenty to go through. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, and you guys, like, we, we don't spend a lot of time talking to other podcasters, but it's just um, interesting how long you can go, and, you know, you talked about Paulinic, and, and not realize what you can do. So I guess, like, as a word of advice for anybody who, who hosts a podcast or is thinking about it is pretty legitimately the sky's the limit. It might take patience, and, and it might take a little bit of exertion, but it's it's really eye-opening what you can do and you get those those bursts of moments where, where you think to yourself you know i i man like if, if we have Duchovny, why can't we have stephen king or why can't we have you know whoever so it, it opens it opens that that doorway for you to do more so incremental steps will get you pretty far it just occurred to me too um if you want to hear someone who is absolutely in love with books and publishing, our conversation with Richard Chismar was one of the nicest discussions that we've had in a long time. And he's, here's a guy who's like 
buddy buddy texting with Stephen King, but still completely enthralled with the guy because he loves the way the guy writes so much. So like the Chismar interview was wonderful because that is a guy who's in love with books and with writing and stuff. And and it was just a delight to see someone who has been in the game so long, still just like starstruck by the whole process of everything. Yeah, and he's very humble as well. I mean, we got to speak to him, um, yeah. I guess it was a couple of years back now. But he, yeah, so modest when you consider all the things that he's done. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I say, you know, any conversation with Kismar people should be lapping it up. For sure. Well, I mean, if there's one person, <clears throat> so we talk about bucket list writers and stuff, right? Like this guy just like texts with, all of our bucket list people like, you know, anybody that we brought up remotely in the horror community, you know, he's, he's one of the guys who refers to Richard Lehman, you know, who's, who's long, long gone now as Dick. You, you know what I mean? Which is mm-hmm. just so weird for somebody who would, who would, you know, give a limb to interview Richard Lehman. You know, you're talking to somebody who's on a, on a, on a nickname basis with, yeah. you know, uh, uh, many of the great horror writers of, of our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you say, at this point, you've done over 500 episodes. So I I imagine, much like Bob and I, you never want to get complacent. You always want to get better. So at this stage in the game, what are you doing to try and get better? What are the things that you want to achieve? What do you want to do with book that you have yet to do? You want me to say something, Livius? I, I mean, you can or I can. Either one of us. I mean, I guess uh, we could both take a shot. I'll at let it. you go. You can go first. <clears throat> I'm going to disagree with you. Rob and I love complacency. That's where we're by far the most comfortable. <laughs> so it's funny because we talk about <clears throat> we talk about the things we could do, and then we're like, you know, it's easy doing the thing we love doing. So although I, I think that there are goals and, and there are things, um, we really take our time with it. And that's, we could, we could run at it full blast. And we have spurts like that where we schedule a bunch of stuff and we do a bunch of stuff. But I, I, like I said, for us, I think it's, it's far more, it's worked out better, I think, for us to do things incrementally than to, than to go full bore. I don't think either one of us um, is really... Um, on the full bore path. And, and now I'll give Rob a chance to to completely shoot down everything I just said. I think that, um, yeah, one of the things that we've benefited from from the beginning of the podcast is that we um, have always just focused on enjoying what we are doing instead of um, our ambition of the things that we could be doing. So I'll agree with Livius on that. Um, but as the David Duchovny's of the world pop up and the Mark Danielewski's and um, people that when we started the podcast were, would have been like, oh, they'll, they'll never want to talk to a little podcast like us. As those cr- crop up, um, it makes us just realize that we can go for whatever we want. And so we talked to Max Brooks earlier this year, and that was just sending an email saying, hey, Max has Devolution coming out devolution excuse me um can we interview him and then we made it happen and so uh those every time we get someone that we don't we don't think that would want to talk to us that just says you can talk to you know you can get the next person you can get the next person and so we averaged probably about six or seven interviews a year before 2020 
and we're probably at 14 just this year. So we're more than double our average. And it's just because we, we were valuing that type of interaction more. So I think that in general, if we're talking about, um, our aspirations for the future, I think it's just to, um, have more of this, have more, um, conversations with authors and explore, um, that, that type of dialogue, because it just, it's, Frankly, I think that if you listen to 516 episodes of me and Livia's talking to each other, you're going to get fucking tired of it. So um, the thing that brings in a different perspective and, and, and new information and a new voice is actually new voices. And so that has absolutely been something that we focused heavily on this year. And I think that that's something that we should probably take pretty seriously going forward. I think there are certain listeners like Thomas Joyce who would probably happily listen to 516 episodes of you talking to one another, but, you know, good old Thomas. We're not sure where where we left off, but we challenged him to go back to the beginning and listen. And I know he got much farther than anybody. Look, as far as I know, one person has listened to every episode, and that's Rob because he edits all of them. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't expect anybody to put them... (laughs) Project themselves to that. Um, I will say that, um, so we do, we do have a, a bucket list item that we're hoping comes up in the next few months. And I know we've talked about it ad nauseum on booked for whatever, but Stephen Hall, author of the Raw Shark texts, like that's, there's oh, a big yeah. target back. So um, we, we did speak with him briefly um, in, in, in a couple of emails a few months ago. But if there's something that I'm for sure looking forward to, and <clears throat> I know you guys can see it. But if you look over Rob's shoulder there, there's a couple of blue books and a red book and a blue book. Those are like four or five of his copies of the Raw Shark text. So I think I can speak for Rob when I say that uh, that we're uh, that's that's absolutely what we're looking forward to next. As Rob zooms in his camera to show, uh, is that seven mm-hmm. copies? Uh, there's there's nine copies here that in frame. Uh, there's also one more copy um, a little bit further out. Um, that's booked shelf. From when we reviewed it, yep, yeah, around there. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the review. So, I have ten total copies of the Rush Architects. That book is due a reread from me now. It's it's just as wonderful the third and fourth time that. <laughs> that so. Well, yeah. I have to do the. I have to brag. I have to brag what he said in the email now, right? I have to. I can't not. Yeah, yeah you um, should. Uh, so, in talking about so his his new book, um, Maxwell's Demon should be coming out in February uh, of mm-hmm. 2021. And so we were negotiating, having him on the podcast. And so he listened to our review of Rock Shark Text, but then they also gave him the spoiler talk that we did on our Patreon um, to, to kind of hear our thoughts that spoil, you know, for the spoilers. And one of the things he said was that my take on what the book means is the closest he's had anybody say to what his take on the book is. And I was like, Yes. <laughs> so that was like, I could have ended the podcast on just that email from him. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to hold out at least for that interview. So we'll yeah. see. We've got at least until like February of next year. If anybody's talking about longevity, we've got at least another four months. You know, so. <laughs> what about you guys? What's a, I know you mentioned your bucket list items, but I mean, I'm going to put the question back to you. What do you want to see for This is Horror? I mean, in terms of improving it, two things that I'm looking at at the moment, uh, one is quite an easy one. I'm always interested in upgrading the audio and the sound, so I will be looking at getting 
an XLR microphone quite soon because I've had this Shure microphone for quite a while now and I want to take it to the next level. And Rob is proving on the video that he does indeed have one right now. It looks like a, a blue microphone, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, that, that is one it's a blue spark. thing. Yeah, yeah, that I'll, I'll be doing. But then another is I'm, I'm just always interested in the art of the interview and the art of the conversation and how can I facilitate the guests that we're we're talking with to to come out with more interesting things and to really have like a more natural flow and it's certainly something that I've got a lot better at over the nearly 400 episodes because I think I think to begin with like I more had my questions and that was that and I didn't deviate from them but now I'll have a load of points but we're going to go wherever it's interesting. So it's just, how can I get even better at doing that? And it was actually something I'd been thinking about a lot and kind of studying other podcasts and other interviews. And I've been thinking about it when I got to chat with Chuck. So, I mean, what a great time to kind of test that out. And I do think it's one of the most natural conversations on the podcast that I've had but I mean podcasting is interesting because it's kind of a simulated conversation it's not quite a real conversation because you're trying to bring out the best in in the guest rather than just kind of talking as you would if you were down the pub or in a bar or wherever um probably not now during a pandemic but you know in normal mm -hmm. circumstances and then other than that, I mean, I, I'm always interested in increasing the listenership and increasing outreach because I'm I'm certain that there are a lot more people who would benefit from and enjoy This Is Horror than are actually listening to it. So it's always trying to think, how can you get the word out there? So I think getting high-profile guests like Chuck is, is you know, a reasonable start. And... I mean, that, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll endeavor to have, you know, at least every few months, a really big name on the podcast. But I think consistency and high quality, kind of that's what's going to lead to these, these incremental gains. And I would say with Chuck, I mean, he was someone that I, I was aware that I wanted to have on the podcast for a long time. And I was strategic about trying to reach out to him and timing it right. And so the year in which he had a on-writing book and a horror book coming out, it was like, okay, now th this, is, this is the shot. I've got to take it. And so I reached out to... A, a, a mutual friend of both of ours and then I said how do you think I would go about getting Chuck on the show uh, instead of getting a reply from him a few weeks later I just get an email from Chuck saying right I've heard good things about this is horror podcast how do we go about making this happen so it, it was Dennis Widmayer of Lit Reactor who I'd initially reached out to and so Chuck said he'd heard good things from Dennis and he'd also heard good fr good things from Tyler Jones who is an upcoming writer but un unknown to me 
Tyler is also in a workshop that Chuck runs. So they both had good things to say about this is horror and and thus it happened. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think maybe if I'd have reached out earlier, like the, the timing wouldn't have been right or it, it might have been odd for him to appear on a horror podcast when he he's releasing a not particularly horror book. But I think the invention of sound is arguably the most horror title he's he's released so i mean that that's when when we did it i'd like to get stephen king on i'd have to get the timing right for that as well but i think stephen king he he need not ever promote anything and he will always sell so many books so whether stephen king is on the podcast one day is entirely (laughs) up to him but i've I've said on record before, if it would take me flying out to Maine, I will do that to interview him. So whatever it takes, you know, I would like to interview Stephen King. But the the ball is very much in his court. I will look at reaching out. I mean, I've had a brief conversation via a publicist when he won a This Is Horror Award many years ago. So... We'll see what can happen, but who who knows? And then, mm-hmm. of course, the other one, Haruki Murakami, he's like the wild card because he's not even writing horror. We are, this is horror, but he just <laughs> happens to be uh, one of my favorite writers. So maybe there will be a time when things align and I can get him on the show. But, yeah, there are many other people that I'd like to to chat with i'd like to chat with clive barker who's recently kind of re-emerged on social media we'd like to chat with peter straub at some point um i I did reach out to him a few years ago and he said thank you for the offer but i'm not interested in appearing on a podcast at the moment and it's like well that's fair enough you're peter straub Mm -hmm. you don't have to that does happen um that was that was our jack ketchum moment of, right, uh, you know, several years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Jack Ketchum, Dallas Mayer is it, it's almost like I, I really wish that I had been able to interview him because he's one of my favorite writers, and we were going to interview him, we had nearly got everything set up, and then he just got really sick, so. I yeah. I try not to have any regrets in life because it's futile. You can't go back and change the past. But there is a part of me that I wish that I had reached out to him sooner, and and I didn't. And and that's just you know the, the way that it panned out. I I I'd luckily I had a correspondence with him. We did a, a written interview, but I I guess because chatting with him would have meant so much i wanted to build up and i wanted to to find the right moment and and i think i i still do that because obviously you know if 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 i didn't then i'd be reaching out to both haruki murakami and stephen king today but yeah you know what you have to do is you have to say if you guys want to come on the podcast email us at Yeah, yeah. I, I I should just do an episode where I I read out a long list of people. It's like, right, this is your call if you want to come on the podcast. 
Yeah. You should do that like every and just do, but don't do like the whole list of names. It's like do a name, then say, if you want to be on the podcast and make it personal to them. And then, okay. And then the next one, yeah. Rob, show, Rob showing some, uh, Bob showing some sales skills there. there yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. make it, make it personal. I, I think yeah, man, that's the thing. Look at the list. It's my bucket list. I mean, it's, it's like, yes, love, that's exactly who we want to talk to. Yeah, I think I think to do that, you know, it helps if you have the name of the person in the episode, you know, not just, oh, I hope that Haruki Murakami is listening to this conversation with Adam Cesar. I hope that's what he's doing right now. Here's, here's, here's what I'll say. Haruki Murakami, we have some fucking questions about 1Q84. I'll say that because Rob and I really, really struggled. Uh, and although there are a ton of interesting things in that book, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Saruki Murakami speak English? Yeah. We know. Does anybody, does yes, he, yes, I've he does. Never, never seen an interview with him. Yeah, or... yeah he does. So that, that's a good start because it would be yeah, very but... basic if it was me interviewing him in Japanese. And... Yeah, well, I was going to say, and, and I, don't, I don't know, but I'm going to assume Bob's Japanese is a little, is a little rusty. Yeah, <laughs> that's an understatement of the year. <laughs> My English is a little rusty. What are you talking about? <laughs> I speak Texas. <laughs> well, that's, but yeah, when you had Lansdale on, I'm sure that went down perfectly. Yeah, that was uh, he's 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 just a natural man. That's one that I knew that is when we got him on. That all we have to do is just point him in the right direction. And we were going to get some really, really great stuff. And we did. And it was just, and he's, he, he's, and he loves talking about writing and story and, and just, there's a, there's a passion there that I don't know if that fire will ever be extinguished. And that's awesome. Those are, it's, it's funny because, you know, our, our best work, and I, I probably speak for all four of us, I think, you know, when it comes to interviews is, that you throw out 10 words and then you've elicited this great response. So like our best work is like our least work, right? Like we did a little mm -hmm. bit and then we're super proud of the 15 minute answer that Lansdale or Paula Nick or, or Danielewski gave you. And it's, it's, it's kind of an odd, it's kind of an odd thing. Like your, your best interviews are the ones where you act the least. Yeah. Well, I think you're mm -hmm. kind of hitting on, the art of the interview and the conversation there. It's like saying less to get more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And honestly, like, I think that me, Livius, me and Livius have done that. Uh, I think at some point in the, in the, in the course of doing interviews over the years, we realized that like, if we have a pretty decently targeted question that hits on either something. So like, first of all, you have to be well-informed about, you know, the person you're talking about, you craft some questions that will like set a stage and then you sit back and like, I should not talk more than, you know, a minute and a half to three minutes in a, in an hour long conversation. And if it's more than that, then it wasn't, you know, like it was, a, it was a tough conversation, but like realistically, like you should set the stage and just sit back and watch the performance because that's that's what we're here for right we're here for that person so yeah mm -hmm. um, when that works out it's it's fantastic it's sublime yeah and in your 500 plus episodes i mean how many people do you think you've had on that it felt like they didn't want to be interviewed because you <laughs> must have had a few at this point 
Well, all right. So I'll point to not necessarily not wanting to be interviewed, but like just like poor timing. Um, we had a really nice conversation with Stephen Graham Jones recently, but um, he had a migraine. And so like it, it was obvious that um, the conversation just wasn't as fluid because like he was just concentrating to get through it. And so like there are curveballs like that where the conversation just isn't what because we've had Steven on several times and and this felt different. He still gave really thoughtful, really insightful answers, but they were just a little bit more clipped than mm-hmm. they usually would have been or maybe less playful and more just to the point. Um, so there are like, you know, factors that you can't control. And I, I we felt terrible. We're like, dude, we could re- reschedule this, um, you know, because we don't <laughs> we don't want to force you to do an hour discussion with a migraine, but, um, I mean, it worked out, but it was still like not, it wasn't the typical Stephen Graham Jones interview, I'd say. So there's stuff like that that happens. I don't know if Livius, you can think of any other. I, um, <clears throat> people that uh, didn't want to be interviewed, not so much. I think that everybody's been very gracious. There's a few people that halfway through the interview, I think we've said, we don't really want to interview this person anymore, but that's a, that's a different take. What I will say, I'll go back to your conversational piece. What, what we found is that, when the mic is recording, you know, people are different. There's times where we've signed off a guest and then we're chit-chatting and it turns into this great conversation that, that at times we've asked, hey, is this cool if we can clip this back in? So that conversational piece, it's putting, you know, the guests at, at ease so that they feel comfortable talking about. We've had guests that I know we've asked a question and we have heard a canned response that they've already given 10 other people. You know what I mean? And those answers are still solid and they answer the question and they provide some information for our listeners. But when you really get into into someone's psyche because they're so comfortable because they don't feel like it's being broadcast and we would never put up something without someone's permission. But there have been plenty of times where Rob's had to go back and creatively um, add something into the podcast. So when you were talking earlier about conversational, if you can set that tone from the beginning, it's smooth, smooth sailing. And if you can't, um, there could there could be some. <laughs> some challenges to the quality of the content for sure. Yeah. I found that when people know that like you, you will edit out anything they're uncomfortable with, then they're far more receptive to being honest and being authentic. So then it allows you to go to these dark places because if they want, they can then say, actually edit out that particular bit. But I would say, you know, nine out of 10 times, if not even more, everything is kept in. But knowing that they have that safety net, they're like, right, we're just going to be absolutely upfront and honest. And I I think as well, I mean, the, the more experienced people or just the more possibly confident or extroverted you'll find there are people who who are not really any different when the microphone is on compared to when it's off i think grady hendrix and josh malaman are perhaps the two top Mm -hmm. kind of picks for for that particular trait and with josh it has got to a point now where everything he says is gold so i've just said look we're not even going to introduce you at the point that we add you to the Skype call. That is the episode because <laughs> because he just says too many interesting things off air. So, you know, and that, and that could be like 
tw a 25 minute piece we might have said hello josh and then he just goes off on one and it's like this is yeah. this is it <laughs> yeah for sure um i the thought they had a follow-up uh, yeah the uh, lull the lull in the conversation i i will say too like so one one thing that you mentioned earlier, and Bob, I hope that you're not like just waiting to get like a word in and like we keep stepping on you. Um, but one thing, Michael, that you said earlier about having like these are the questions and that's it, and and moving away from that, um, I think one of the things that we found is like when an interview is going well, and when we're really in a conversation where everybody understands each other, the author is going to take you to the question before you even ask it, and so then it's just a matter of navigating the conversation to the next topic and, and keeping the flow going. And I, I can't tell you, that's why when we interview someone, um, since we're in different rooms, and I'm sure you guys do something similar, we have a document with all of our questions. And as the conversations is going on, me and Libyus are constantly messaging each other about where we're going to take the conversation next, because if a conversation is going very well, the author does like most of the work for you usually um, by just kind of hitting the topic naturally. So I don't know if you guys have a specific approach for that, but I find that like, that's like one of my favorite things. Yeah. I mean, so I'll, I'll often have a list of topics and questions that I'll be looking at throughout the conversation. And then Bob and I have a way to communicate to one another so that um, particularly if Bob wants to say something that he can be like, Michael, can you give me a, a moment to get a word in? You might be sensing that from this episode that that is <laughs> something that happens. But I, I, I guess as well, because I, I'm so curious about different things and I keep, I, I could have like about 20 follow-ups to one topic and, yeah, oft, often I can be over eager because I know that Bob's going to change the topic. It's like we're not done, we're not done yet. I've got to, got to get this in. But yeah, like having a flow and a way to make sure that you're not talking over one another is is a good approach. But I I think in some of the best episodes as well, you've maybe got this document with twenty or thirty potential questions, and then maybe you use two of them. Mm-hmm. That's funny because usually with me and Livius, it's like, is there six or seven questions? That's mm. an hour. Like yeah. that's kind of our <laughs> our measure. I, I feel like it was Christopher Moore when we had him on that we were like, hey, so you know, give us the breakdown on your new book, and he immediately went on and answered like the first four questions, and I was like, holy shit! Like we have to really hustle to like you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, because <laughs> I was like, all right we'd have a little bit of time that we could talk about this and he just went through and bam, bam, bam over the course of five minutes. So I was like, we've erased our whole document now. So, you know, it's, it's being able to pivot and it's, it's different because most of the time it's just the two of us. So if we step on one another, we, we could take parts out, we could take things over. We could do that with a guest, but it would seem less professional. So we have to have a, a much better flow naturally. Um, not that the listeners would hear that part that we, we fix and take out and, and redo, but the guests would. And mm -hmm. when you're talking to one of your idols, like there's nothing more embarrassing than fucking the whole thing up. And I've done it. I've done it plenty of times. So I, I know it's not a great feeling. I have a question uh, for, for you guys as far as interview goes. And I'll set the stage by saying this. Um, 
me and Levis went to StokerCon in 2017, and we got to interview a ton of authors there. And one of, I, I think this was kind of an unintended bucket list for Livius. We interviewed F. Paul Wilson. And um, Livius is a much bigger fan of F. Paul Wilson uh, than I was. And so while we composed the questions that we we're going to talk together, I let Livius take over. And um, he basically asked, I don't even think I spoke maybe the entire time. And I was giving him his moment with F. Paul Wilson. So do you guys ever have that type of thing where a, a guest you have is is more uh, dear to one of you than the other? And that kind of steers how much one of you is talking. I think that we certainly have guests that, um, you know, one of us is more of a fan of than the other. And, you know, Perhaps with with Kathy Kodia, as much as I am a fan of her, like she was more part of like kind of Bob's horror education growing up. So we we do have that, but I think in terms of like that influencing who leads the conversation, I think probably less so. And we we kind of just try to take the conversation to the interesting places and to where the guest wants it to go. Um, there have been a, a few times where I've said to Bob, I'm going to give you some time to kind of like, you know, lead this one a little bit more now. And certainly if Bob said to me, like, look, this is Peter Straub, you know how much he means to me. Can I take the lead a little bit more on this one? Then I'd say, Absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's just not anything that's really came up. The The conversations seem to work organically. And mm. so, some interviews, one of us will be more prepared than the other or just have more points of intrigue. Other times, you know, it, it'll be the other way around. And often we, we're both in sync in terms of the type of topics that we want to get into and it's just a matter of which person is going to take that lead right on. yeah it's it's definitely i always tend to let especially if it's somebody like kathy koji there's no way i could have taken the lead on that because it's just been me and gushing for 30 minutes and so that's nobody wants to hear that it is as good as it would make me feel and as excited as i am it's not it's not what we do so in situations like that where i'm like i don't want to sound like you know like those old saturday night live interviews with you know chris farley interviewing paul mccartney you know re remember when you when you wrote the cypher <laughs> you know <laughs> that was awesome you know i just don't want to do that so you know it's it's kind of like and michael has you know he he, he has that question at the beginning that that often will lead to tangents that we'll both want to explore and usually you know we've done enough of these to where it's like if they say something especially there's certain topics that i'm just i don't have to say anything because i know michael's going to go there you know and i'm just like okay here we go and michael's like well i want to go back <laughs> to one thing that you said and then that's going to create another tangent uh it's just to me, I just feel like that I think that either one of us can can have that potential of just fan fanboying the whole thing 
and and that's that's not what our listeners want. You know, at least I don't think so. I mean, that's that's my opinion. You know, I think that they want they're they're there to to hear what we have a conversation with the actual the author. You know, the the director, whoever whoever we're talking with. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, like, you you almost put the integrity of the conversation ahead of like any kind of personal, like, uh, joy <laughs> of talking to the person. Yeah. It's tough, but it has to be done. I mean, it's just, you're right. It is, it, it, it is a level of integrity. Yeah. I'm just going to keep fanboying my favorite people if that's uh, okay with everybody else. So just saying, <laughs> you well, do you, yeah. man. <laughs> so that's the other side of the coin though, is that, um, if, I ask these questions to F. Paul Wilson versus Livia's asking them. He's going to ask them more authentically because he's the one that has the the firsthand knowledge of what he's talking about. Where, I mean, I could I could absolutely feel the more, um, or I guess the less specific questions that are more like craft focused or, or something like that. But if it's talking about a specific, like like uh, work, or or something like that, I would let Livia's take that because he's more likely to have the insight to say it the right way or to the refer to the right thing. So they're like the fanboy does come in clutch when it's talking about. So I'll give you a perfect example. When we're talking to David Duchovny, Livius threw the question out, um, Hank Moody or Fox Mulder. And that's all he said. And um, Duchovny didn't really answer. He said something like, Oh, well, those characters have both been explored, you know, pretty thoroughly. So I don't know what else there is to, to go with them. And then I said, my secret like cheat of an answer would be Denise from Twin Peaks. And that took us into a conversation about awesome stuff with Twin Peaks. Um, and, and it's, I think I'm a little bit more of a fanboy about the Twin Peaks stuff. So like, it was perfect for me to step in with, with that perspective, even though it kind of, it kind of like blew up the actual, the question. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to be fair, I think that, you know, when I when I talk to people about the podcast who who aren't familiar with it, aren't people that are close to me, you know, they talk about like, oh, you're rolling around in all that podcast, though, which of course we are. But but the real reward is not financial. It's it's not even yeah, I hate to say this, but it's not even that we have listeners. The 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 real personal reward sometimes is you get to talk to fucking F. Paul Wilson or Josh Mallerman mm -hmm. or insert name here, right? So that's the the time and the effort that we put into it. For me, the reward is when, you know, we get to talk to Mark Z. Danielewski, right? When we're going to get to talk to Stephen Hall. Like, that is worth that mm -hmm. is worth more than months and months of Patreon support to me personally, you know? So um I do it because I, I get to to pick the brains of people I've looked up to in some cases for, you know, 20, I don't know if Paul Wilson, I've been reading him since I was a teenager, 30 mm -hmm. years. So mm -hmm. that's, that's reward enough. But although you should continue to keep up your Patreon contributions too. I should throw that <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was speaking to someone who's going to start a podcast soon and I was saying, kind of exactly that, that one of the hidden benefits is, particularly as a writer, you get to talk to other writers that you look up to 
and during the conversation you can throw in highly specific questions to a problem that you may be having with your writing or with your life and you're getting <laughs> this expert advice that to get proper tutelage like that would, would cost you hundreds of pounds or hundreds of dollars or insert your currency here and so you're just getting things that that probably outweigh the the value of the patreon or the advertising money or or whatever anyway and so that is invaluable also it's just surreal that you know i i, I have like memories when i was younger at christmas opening up these ramsey campbell books and it's like then i got to speak with him there's a weird disconnect remembering being a child and reading this and it's like now i'm talking to you it, it's surreal but it's you know it, it's a good life it, it's nice that this is happening mm -hmm. i think one of the things too is that a lot of these authors especially the bigger names they don't have that much time uh we're you know i i feel that we're fortunate if they're willing to give us an hour of their time because a lot of them are busy uh, they've got family, they've got, you know, engagements that they have to do, you know, so I mean, it's kind of like, hey, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be able to get an hour, then you've got to, if you've got a question, if you've got a fanboy question, then you're going to have an opportunity to get it in, you know, you've got to make your question, you know, like really pointed. If you got Peter Straub in there and, you know, you got to go, okay, hold on. Timothy Underhill, you like writing him in third person or first person better, and please <laughs> just just blow up an answer for me, you know? And I have a feeling that that would be something Peter Straub would go, well, that's never been asked before, so let's go into Tim. And then you go from there uh, because he has, you know, multiple stories. You know, that's probably his most endearing character that he's ever written is Timothy Underhill. And so that's, you know, to me, it's like that's where – our listeners are going to want to, they're going to be like, wow, you know? So yeah, don't steal my question, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> if I've got an hour and I know I can get 15 minutes out of it, then that's, that's, that's your, you know, that's your chance, you know? And hopefully that, that, you know, that sometimes you might be able to get a little bit more in an hour and that's, that's great, you know, but you want to be mindful of, of, of who you're talking with and, and the time that they're willing to give you. Mm -hmm. I've also found that even when we try to stick to the times that the publicist gave us or whatever, that, that quite honestly, the guest is always willing to go longer. And I think it becomes a comfort level. And, and to your mm -hmm. point, Bob, it's the questions you ask, right? So if they're given the same canned response they gave Fresh Air or someone on PBS or whatever, then they're like, all right, I know there's going to have to answer like three or four more. I've got my responses. But you throw something a little more obscure out there and they're like, hey, this, this person wants me to talk about my work, not about, you know. Uh, not yeah. about just this last book and, and, and pitching something. So again, some of the best conversations have come from the most, you know, obscure questions or, or the things that I'm guessing that guest did not plan on talking about when, when, when they got on with us or, or with you guys, like, you know, tell me about your childhood probably doesn't come up a lot when you're an author, mm -hmm. right? It's tell me about the book. So, yeah. Or they tell me where you get your ideas from. It's like, well, we buy them at a store and eat some we have only away. So, you know, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is why we often start with something from their childhood or their early life, because we want to set up that this is not your average 
conversation. It's like get out of that default canned responses mode because this is going to be different. This is going to be interesting. And, you know, if you can set that tone from the start, it's not only going to mean that you've got a more engaging conversation, but when you get to what would have normally been those canned responses, they'll probably go a little bit deeper. So, you know, it's to the benefit of all. So uh, to to that point too, like the idea of having original questions and it's not just the same thing that everybody else is asking. Do you, like, let's say you're getting, so like you talked to Chuck Palahniuk, Mm. do you, do you read or listen to other uh, interviews that he's done to make sure that you're not just retreading the same, like um, same stuff over that he's already talked about? Cause uh, I feel like the, it, it kind of, for us depends author to author, but like the bigger the name, the more likely I'm going to sit down and spend a couple hours watching or listening to, or reading other, other interviews to make sure that we're not just being the same dickhead that, that talked to them before. So with Chuck Palahniuk specifically, I probably prepared more than I have for any other interview (laughs) because I knew how much it meant to me and how much this would be an entry point for new listeners. So I listened to every single podcast that he'd ever been on. I listened to a number of YouTube interviews, also um, things on YouTube like him just giving a live reading. I tried to reread as many of his books as I could. You know, this was, I think I found out about three weeks before that I was definitely going to be interviewing him. And then pretty much in any time that I had where I wasn't working, I was preparing (laughs) for the Chuck interview. So for him, absolutely, because I know as well, if you can get original content and original answers from Chuck, that is absolute gold. Now, in terms of the normal process, of course, I will read as many books as I can in in the time. I'm probably not going to dedicate three weeks, you know, sorry. Um, but I will also read and, and listen to a number of interviews. What I'll often do is I will kind of make notes as to things that they have said that I, if I were interviewing, would have followed up on, and then I will follow up. I will ask a question specifically about that. So, I mean, a number of guests have said, like, how the hell did you know that? How did you find (laughs) out about this? Because someone might have mentioned something in passing you know, half a sentence six years ago, and now I've formulated an entire question around it. So, I mean, when we were talking to Chad Lutsky, I was talking about his his childhood and when he'd had run-ins with the law, and it was like I just literally alluded to that at the start of my career. And with Danger Slater, he'd spoken about his mother buying him the Guinness Book of Records every single year for Christmas. And yeah, he, he just mentioned that in an interview. And it's like, well, let's go a little bit further. You know, what? how did this come about? Like, what did this look like for you? And, you know, what were you doing with these records? Did you try to, to, to get a Guinness record yourself? What's going on here? I, uh, I'm not sure. So in... Um, in British, where do you put the 
you in the words restraining order? Do they go in, in, in the order part? Or is it? <laughs> I could see where that could freak somebody out, right? So I said something on an interview six years ago, and this guy's asking me about this thing that I don't remember saying. But that's a, that's a very interesting approach. I like that. I know Rob does that from time to time where he'll go and listen to, to interviews. I, I a little bit take the opposite approach. I almost don't want hearing another interview to taint where I'm going to go. So I, I try to trust in myself that after we get past those initial, you know, few questions, so we get you, let you talk about your current book, and then we're going to move into some other stuff. I, I kind of try to trust my instinct that I'm not going to tread the same ground that's been tread already. So Rob and I take slightly different approaches when it comes to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, you, you do run a little bit of danger if you listen to really recent ones because there are obviously going to be things that you want to ask about the new release so i'm i am more reluctant to you know if i'm interviewing someone this week and you interviewed them last week i'm probably not going to listen to your interview until i've conducted my own because otherwise they might say something really interesting about the new book and instead of getting my authentic response i'm thinking yeah i know mm -hmm. you told rob and livia that so <laughs> it's gonna be less enthusiastic so yeah I'll, I'll probably listen to to everything up to the most recent tour that they're doing now as it is halloween season what are the horror films or horror TV series or indeed horror books that have most kind of captured your curiosity or that you've enjoyed most recently? Um, I'll, I'll take the, the top part of this. Uh, Rob has finished The Haunting of Bly Manor, and I am hoping to do so um, hopefully tomorrow night. I have three episodes left to go. Um, we are going to be doing our Halloween spec spooktacular um, next week, which will be on Facebook Live, and we're planning on discussing Books of Blood, the the Hulu original um, movie uh, of Clive Barker's work, who you mentioned earlier. Um, so the reviews on that are really mixed. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm, <clears throat> I'm doing so with a little trepidation um, this week. But that's from a TV standpoint. Um, that's that's I I know that's what I'm doing. I don't know if Rob has touched on anything else recently or plans to do anything else horror wise. Uh, the one thing that I'll say I'm in the middle of is I so not in the middle of, I watched the first two episodes of Monsterland, by your boy, mm -hmm. uh, based on Nathan Ballingard's yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, stories, and um, like, I, I don't know, have you guys checked it out at all? No, I haven't yet. I'm not okay. sure if it's available in Japan. Frustratingly, oh, yeah, I didn't mm -hmm. think about region regions. Um, so first of all, I watched the movie Wounds. Um, mm -hmm. when it, when it was on Hulu and I don't know if Livia, if you saw that or not, but, um, I, I think we talked about it on our podcast, that movie was really good. I feel like mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. And, um, uh, you know, having read the visible filth as a, this is horror chapter, yeah. um, I, I enjoyed wounds a lot. And so I was excited to hear that there was a series coming out based on short stories he'd written. And dude, like, so I watched the first two episodes and it's pretty dark, like, um, not necessarily like straight horror, like monsters and, and, and serial killer kind of stuff, but like this, it's, it's pretty heavy. It's heavy and dark, um, mm -hmm. but really well written and they're getting pretty good talent for 
the actors that are acting in it. So I think there's eight episodes. Uh, uh, so I have to watch three through eight, but um, the first two really do um, kind of suck you into it. So I'm, I'm enjoying that right now. Well, I'll be, I'll go ahead and be the downer. I haven't really watched anything, but I haven't been able to. Um, I live in Southeast Texas and we've had back to back hurricanes uh, that spoiled things from oh, wow, last yeah. month and spoiled things for this month. And we didn't even get direct hits, but you know, the last one was even worse than the recent one. And we had 109,000 people lose power. Uh, it knocked out the internet. Uh, they managed to get the power on a lot quicker than they did the last time because the main transmission lines were down. But also a lot of things that that were that I planned on watching last weekend uh, that that didn't happen. I got to I got to watch the back of my eyelids because um, you know had no power. We didn't evacuate. There was really no place to go. Um, so went to bed early. Um, I read on my Kindle till the battery died. Um, but I did work out uh, some stuff on a story that I'm going to write, you know, after I'm done with my work in progress. So that did help. And so now I've got, you know, power back in. And, and you know, it's, it's Michael did probably one of the best interviews that he's ever done that I missed. And I prepared as much as he did, <laughs> but I missed it because of the hurricane. Uh, but he'll be back and I'm, you know, and I listened to it and it was great. And so it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, they, it worked out, it worked out perfectly. Uh, I wish it would have been a little bit better, but you know, things happen and, but I've got a lot of stuff to catch up on and I definitely want to check out Monsterland and Haunting of Bly Manor. And, uh, but as, as Michael, Michael, I don't know if you know or not, but I did manage to watch Hot Fuzz yesterday. All right. What, what did <laughs> you think? Because so, so with Hot Fuzz, <laughs> to give people a bit of background, I actually thought that their watching had a little bit in common with Hot Fuzz for that whole kind of outsiders in a, in a small town <laughs> setting, but yeah. obviously their watching is a lot darker and Hot Fuzz is a comedy. But when I mentioned it to Bob, he he said that like he didn't like Hot Fuzz. He or he'd like only watched like the first ten minutes and 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 yeah, wasn't a fan of it. And I was like, Bob, I think you need to reevaluate your life. I think you need to rewatch that ASAP. So, so you've seen it, Bob. So, g give us your mini review. Well, it was on it was on Stars, and I planned on watching it Friday because I'd canceled Stars, and it was available up until I think like the thirteenth, and that didn't work. So, and since I'm one of those people that commit the shit. I decided I was going to go ahead and rent it on Amazon. So it was only $4. So yesterday before me and Michael had a round of podcasts, I actually got off work a lot earlier than what I expected. Uh, well, I'm not even going to say it, but anyway, long story short, I said, you know, I've got a couple hours to kill. I'm going to go ahead and watch hot fuzz. So I rented it and um, I liked it. I really did. Um, I think the original time when I tried to watch it and I couldn't get through it, I wasn't in the right headspace. 
I can see the similarities to the story. It's, it is though um, Nick Angel or whatever his name is, Sergeant Angel, was both Brian and Ted at the same time <laughs> in this in this uh, in this story. Um, that I can I can see I can see that. Um, but you know, and there's 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 someone else who who uh, has also mentioned that it reminds them of Hot Fuzz. And they, I think on social media, they said that they thought that their watching was, you know, the novelization of Hot Fuzz. And I said, it is. It's just a completely different story with completely different characters. You know, so <laughs> it's not really. But I liked it. I really did. I had some laugh out loud moments. And um, and it was amazing to see so many, so many familiar faces, you know, and uh, I really, I really enjoyed that. And I'm sorry that that I I said that, that you know that I never really <laughs> gave it a chance. I apologize to the movie, uh, <laughs> you know, because I gave it a chance and I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty fucking funny, man. You know, so yeah. Uh, there you go. All right. So um, for context on my side, I probably watch that movie about once a week. <laughs> um, it is absolutely like one of my top five movies and it's like, it's, it's, it's of the status where if I just want something playing in the background, it's like one of my go-tos. Um, but I think Edgar Wright is just brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. as far as like the way he writes a film and the way that he films things, um, for just like, it's like he maximizes the effect of every single thing that happens in a movie. Um, and hot fuzz is just, it's so comfortable and it's definitely something that like it bears fruit on multiple viewings. So if you liked it the first time, you'll like it a little bit more the next time and on and on. So I'm, I'm a very big, um, hot fuzz enthusiast. I was quoting it earlier today as I was driving around. So yeah, that's mine. <laughs> Livius is like, what's hot fuzz? <laughs> <clears throat> I thought I was going to get on, on, on the Bob side of the screen again. Um, I didn't make it all the way through Hot Fuzz when I tried watching it. I like Shaun of the Dead a lot. A lot. Mm -hmm. I saw Shaun of the Dead um, when it was released. So some bootleg version that came across my uh, came, came into my possession while um, it was just released in the UK, I believe. And it was like a year later. I see an ad on TV. I'm like, this is that great fucking British movie that I saw. So I saw it significantly before many other people did in the United States. Uh, but yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do hot fuzz. Um, the end of the world. What's that other movie that they did? World's End. The world That's it. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah. I wasn't so much a fan of the world's end. Unfortunately, that one did disappoint me a little bit. Um, I think I, if I'm remembering right, I enjoyed kind of the first half or the first act, but then it just seemed to get a little bit repetitive. I, I guess when it turned into more of an action film than the kind of sharp humor and wit that I'm used to, it just wasn't as enjoyable. So it wasn't a terrible film, but it just, I, I didn't think it was in the same league as Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. And didn't it come out about the same time that Franco and his gang did the, you know, the end of the world movie? I oh, think there was yeah. like a, some similarities there uh, between, you know, they had these two basically end of the world stories that come out within like, I think maybe six months of each other. 
And yeah, the the Franco one has got some, you know, pretty juvenile humor in it. And of course it slides into the absolutely absurd when Danny McBride shows up. But other than that, uh, I thought that the at world's end was a little bit more charming, if that makes sense. But the, the humor was a lot more subtler and, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, I kind of like it more than I like the, 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 I guess the new Brat Pack American version of, of almost <laughs> the same story, you know? Um, but yeah, it's not as funny as Shaun of the Dead. So. Yeah. Or Hot Fuzz. Oh, Hot Fuzz. Come on. So good. <laughs> I just I just looked up Hot Fuzz. Uh, I didn't realize that was Martin Freeman that was in that. I mean, I like I said, I saw half of it. However many years ago it came out. Mm-hmm. Fun fun fact about so at the very beginning there's a scene where Simon Pegg's character gets attacked by a, a guy dressed up as Santa Claus, Father Christmas, and he gets stabbed in the hand. And that guy who's dressed up as Father Christmas is Peter Jackson, the director. So there you wow. go. Did not know that. <laughs> It's one of those very under the radar. Um, why the hell is this person even in the movie type of thing? So there you go. If you listen to two and a half hours of book or this is horror, <laughs> that's the kind of factoid. That's your reward right there. That's, you two can right have that trivia. <laughs> Peter Jackson is absolutely the bottom of our barrel, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, guys, I think that's probably a good stopping point because everybody's going to run out and watch Hot Fuzz right now. Bob's going to try to get back and see if he's got any hours left on his 24-hour Amazon yeah. rental. So uh, <laughs> it's been great. Um, I definitely think we should do this slightly more often than than we have, which is almost never, <laughs> ever in this configuration, at least. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, somebody's got something on it. Yeah, yeah a- absolutely. Um because I, I guess in the Dan Howarth days, we almost got something semi-regular going, but then, you know, Dan yeah. Howarth disappeared and fucked it up for everyone, quite frankly. <laughs> but, you know. We, Except for Bob. Everybody but Bob. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but we, we, we should, yeah, we, we should look at, you know, do, doing this again, maybe around Halloween. It, it could be your double horror thing you've got. With this as horror, and then you're spooktacular. So, what more could people want? <laughs> I yeah, like that. Let's mm-hmm. definitely plan for more stuff. Um, it's obvious that we have no trouble talking yeah. <laughs> uh, as a group. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts or parting words that you'd like to leave people with? Yes, I actually I was thinking of this earlier. How about you guys uh, share your Patreon information? So if anybody who's listening from our site wants to to get in on on your deal, they know where to go. Well, thank you for asking. This, I promise, was not planned. (laughs) It sounds very much (laughs) like it was. But it is patreon.com forward slash this is horror. You can get early bird access to each and every episode. At various levels, we have different perks, such as submitting a question for the guest. You can get the full conversation, so rather than listen to it in two parts, which I know Livius is not a fan of us splitting it up. Well, you don't have to be. If you're a a patron, you can get all of that in one go. 
There's also Story Unboxed, the horror podcast on the craft of writing in which we analyse short stories and films, so a kind of literary MFA, a little bit of a dissection. And then we've also got On Camera, Off Record, the videocast. And we also do a Patrons-only Q&A, so plenty of reasons to become a patron. There's even a writer's forum on Discord, so you can have beta reads, you can find out about current markets, you can talk with other like-minded writers. So if that sounds like something that could be of interest to you, then check it out, patreon.com forward slash thisishorror. Rob and Livius, as it would happen, you've got a Patreon as well. Would you like to tell <laughs> I people I a little bit about no, it? No, not not after not after I heard what you guys offer on Patreon. <laughs> Just never mind. Good lord. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Patreon got Patreon. Let me take that again. Patreon.com slash booked. Um, for us mostly early release spoiler talk. So we talk about all the dirty little things we can't talk about uh, on the books we review. And then there's some other perks, but I think those are the two most uh, most coveted for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Simple to the point. Yeah. Jesus, Michael's like, I'll do your taxes. At a certain <laughs> <level>. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Which, do we need to rethink our rel- Patreon? Relationship <laughs> advice. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever you need. If you're in the States, you get a you get a back rub from Bob. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At this label, you get a call from Bob. He calls you a hobo wanker. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much better with that Texas drawl. Man, I like that. You should oh, yeah. start, start using that in everyday life. Well, thanks, guys. This has been an absolute blast. Okay, so for anybody who decided to continue listening and is still here, that was a very good conversation with the gentleman over at This Is Horror. I, I want to do the the like where I fake exhaustion, but clearly it's it's not the same thing <laughs> that we're doing this. But Rob will tell you, the second we were done, I was like, it's after midnight. I'm going to bed. <laughs> it's goodbye. That was how I yeah. got off of that. Yeah, I didn't. I I didn't know what to expect, but I certainly didn't expect. So we were in total. It was it was over three hours that we spent, and then um, you know some of that was obviously off of off the actual conversation that you guys heard. But uh, I had a really good time. It just got got way past my old man bedtime. Yeah, our little Livius was going to turn into a pumpkin if he stayed on very much longer. Um, but uh, that's one of the. This is one of those episodes that doesn't come along very often. But uh, again, I think we've been doing it a lot this year, where we we talk to someone we haven't talked to in a while, and we're like, "Why don't we do this more often?" For sure, and I think we will. And I think that uh, I mean we've had a we've actually had a little bit of a break from having guests and co-hosts and stuff. So I think we might see a little bit of a ramp up over the course of the next few weeks slash months. Correct. I don't know if you can hear this. Yes. That's me yes, rubbing I my can. hands together, uh, plotting mm-hmm. and scheming. So, yeah. So an interesting thing popped up where uh, something that Livius probably doesn't really have much interest in at all uh, came across. If anybody who, who knows much about the podcast knows that we've only done one nonfiction book, and that was accidental. Uh, we did uh, in, the, uh, in the Garden of Beasts, uh, Eric Larson. It's about um, like the American... Uh, diplomat in Germany in the rise of the you know Third Reich or whatever. Um, that one we did uh, because we didn't realize it was <laughs> nonfiction until we were already committed to it. 
a nonfiction book came across in the email and it piqued my interest. Uh, it, it's written by the guy who wrote, the guys who wrote the book Mindhunter. So John Douglas and I'm no, I'm going to get this name wrong. Mark Olshaker. Um, they wrote the book Mindhunter, which the TV show is based off of. And uh, John Douglas is the guy who created criminal um, profiling for the FBI. And so there's a new book coming out called The Killer's Shadow, which is basically like in the late 1970s, there was a white nationalist serial killer that they were trying to capture. And so this book is about uh, that person. And in addition to wanting to review the book, we have an opportunity to uh, actually have an interview with um, Mr. Olshaker, so the co-author of the book and as a surprise and a secret little twist. And I've been waiting to do this since, uh, Livia started stepping out on me a couple, like in the last couple of years and doing reviews with like Frank Edler and Dino Parenti. Um, since Livius is going to be out of town and to give him a little bit of a rest, Misty Bennett, longtime friend of the podcast and our permanent holiday co-host will be doing the review with me and conducting the interview, uh, with Mr. Allshaker as well. I am very excited for you guys, but I do want to preface that by saying I don't think the publishers should take this this nonfiction thing like to heart and start just like piling nonfiction books. I like we get them from time to time already, um, you know. But I don't I don't want. Yeah, you know what I mean. I <laughs> we could oh we could uh, have a spinoff podcast where uh, we do yeah nonfiction where you and Misty do nonfiction me and, books. Me and yes, Missy, I, think yeah. would, I think that would be wonderful. Just all the true <laughs> so, crime. Let's think. Yeah. What if we just get piled on with true crime stuff now? Oh my God. I mean, true crime is hot, right? Like when you talk about podcasts and like Netflix shows and stuff, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. I did listen to an interview with Matthew McConaughey today who had a, um, uh, nonfiction book come out and it sounded like, okay. And in the back of my mind, I actually thought, if we get Matthew McConaughey, and then I was like, "Oh no, we'd have to read a nonfiction book, though." So never mind. Didn't he? His dad was like a criminal or something, right? Uh, no his his dad sold um, pipe fittings for like oil rigs. Uh, who am I thinking of? Who has like a crazy murderer dad? Oh God, I don't know. That didn't come up in. Uh, I listened to him. He was on the mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss podcast. Yeah, he, that that didn't come up. If that's the case, maybe maybe he's just keeping it under wraps. Oh, someone it's some like hollywood oh dude. oh you know what it's uh it's the other guy from true detective woody oh woody harrelson Isn't maybe that's him? what yeah it might be him yeah it, yeah. it absolutely think, is so that's might, yeah yeah that's why i crossed those wires is because they were I'm on in, true detective together i gotta be honest i'm impressed that i pulled that out like i actually kind of <laughs> almost knew something about an actor that was um yeah it's good yeah yeah uh so okay but not only is misty doing those two episodes she is going to be on for three episodes in a row that's I insane. Yeah. That. yeah, that's crazy. Because this coming weekend is our Facebook Live Halloween Spooked Tacular, which is a Sunday night um, later in the evening. I don't remember, like 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, um, where we'll be joined by our permanent holiday co-hosts, Missy Bennett and Jesse Lawrence. For um, uh, I, I tell you, if you want to stay with us on this, Clive Barker's Books of Blood, not the actual like four short story collection or four book short story collection but the hulu original movie 
is uh, at least one of the topics we'll be talking about. So depending on when you're hearing this, you probably got like 24 hours or so if you want to watch that and hear us talk about it. I, we might have to go spoilery on that one. I mean, it's been out for yeah. a few weeks, but uh, I feel like the only way to talk about that one is to talk about it. So, um, but yeah, that's that's what's coming up. Our uh, our next three episodes uh, after this, Spooktacular, two Livius free episodes. I'm sure half of our audience <laughs> will absolutely love that. Um, the other half just come back on the 17th of November, um, and that's that's it. That's all we got. Yeah. So thanks for sticking with us for the long haul. If you're still listening to this, um, we appreciate you listening and definitely uh, check out This Is Horror. And, um, you know, if you're into supporting podcasts, hit up our Patreon if you haven't and also give a look at theirs. Uh, That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, Again, thanks for sticking with us for the duration. Join us next episode for our annual spooktacular. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading.